Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Southern Sports Central, your source for all things sports, with your host, Richie Altman. Richie Altman. And Eugene Benton taking your call at 323-784-9681. Now, let's join Richie in the studio. Saturday morning to you, everybody. We're almost at the end of July, which means it's about that time to put that football down on the tee and kick it across the football field for some Friday night lights. College football is definitely right around the corner as well. So today, we've loaded the menu full of five-star guests. Yep, we start right here in the low country on the coastline of South Carolina with the great one, Coach Chuck Reedy. You know, he coached a lot. He's done a lot. He's seen a lot. He's been a lot of places. Started his high school days coaching in the 70s in Florida and in Georgia before he landed in Tigertown with the Clemson Tigers as the running back coach. Then he became the offensive coordinator. While he was there, he became a national championship coach because they won that one in 81 when he was over there. And then he took off and head to Baylor where he became the OC for a few and then took over as the head football coach. Then he handed that opportunity in and come on over back to South Carolina. He comes to South Carolina to the Gamecocks for a year with Brad Scott as the offensive coordinator. And then his final place, his final opportunity to run the sidelines was over Goose Creek where he won a state championship with the Gators. And I got to tell you, it's going to be exciting to get coach Reedy in here. He's a, a five-star guest for sure. He says what he feels. He says what he means and he will definitely Keep it real and keep it 100 from the beginning to the end. So we're excited to talk to him about a bunch of topics that I've already sent him the questions. I've already given him all the conversation that we're going to have to kind of let him do his homework. And the one thing I like about Coach Reedy, one of many things, is that he will give you the straight-up answer. We're going to talk a lot about high school Friday night likes. We're going to talk about charter schools and recruiting and a few other things that will touch the surface and that will be on the bar once he joins us here at 10.15. Then 11 o'clock, we take the bus over to the Midlands, to Columbia, to the capital city, close to the University of South Carolina. Chris Phillips with the Spurs Up Show. He spent all week in Nashville. Got his rookie stripe off. He's no longer a rookie over at Media Days for the SEC. He'll join us and talk to us about the game, guys. Exactly. What do you hear from Rattler? What do you hear from any of the other guys that were there on the podium? But those weren't the only guys. Those weren't the only coaches. The most interesting, I would say the most interesting conversation that had, well, question that was given at media day was the gentleman, and again, I think when you look at it, these guys have one chance to ask one question. And for a gentleman to go at Lane Kiffin and mention that he is sometimes mixed up, I guess, or, or, or people think that he's him or whatever, that might be the most strangest question at Media Days that we've heard. 
But we'll get into that with Chris Phillips. I want to get much into that one, kind of share that one a little bit further down the road. Mike Leach wasn't a part of the SEC Media Days as he passed away back in December. The Pirate, who has left us with so many amazing one-liners. And we look back at the coaches around the country that are so good at the sarcasm that makes it part of their, I want to say, entertainment as they describe their football teams or the situations. Lane Kiffin's one of the great ones. I would definitely go in and say that uh, was a guy who was very sarcastic and very uh, interesting, uh, as he would break down the Gamecocks a lot of times and, and, and kind of sell you a false image of how good they were. And then, of course, in Alabama, the great one there, he's always guaranteed to give us some good information and some good uh, retweets and things like that as he, uh, Nick Saban, always has something interesting to say as well. 11 o'clock, we then take the bus from the capital city. We head up to the upstate, to Tigerville, Tiger Town, if you will, in the Valley of Clemson, where David Hood will join us from the TigerNet.com. Now, they got their media day coming up this week. The ACC will step into the ring with all of their coaches and a few of their good players, and they will have their conversations about where they are, where they need to be, what needs to happen. I did hear uh, a piece the Dabo Sweeney actually complimented this group of guys that are coming into this 2023 season, saying that this is the best team in five years that he has seen accountability. And everybody's showing up, and only a couple of players aren't on that list. Matter of fact, he mentioned one player. And I don't know whether it was that one player that got uh, exited stage left off the team earlier. But – um Love to hear these kids in accountability. That's the one thing that I think we struggle with the most right now, in my opinion, with this generation coming up. Uh, I've got children that are, uh, you know, 22, my daughter, 20 years old, my son. And when you look at the, 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 the accountability part of it, it's a different deal. Of course, I've got two smaller ones, 112 and 115. And, and when you put everything into perspective and you try to understand everything, here, here's the conversation. Accountability today will make you better tomorrow. But those are the things uh, that I love about Dabo Sweeney because I really feel, whether you're a Gamecock fan or a Tiger fan or you believe this or that or whatever it is that you've got going on, Dabo Sweeney, you rarely see him have issues on the field and off the field. With accountability, with with players getting in trouble, you know, you don't see that. Matter of fact, I give it to both him and Shane Beaver. In the last so many years since both of these coaches have been in our state doing what they do, we very rarely heard either one of them, either one of them having off-field issues. You also hear how great the graduation rate is and the numbers and the GPA and how high that is. Because, again, they are student athletes. And when you're at college, you're playing a sport, I can speak on this firsthand. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You are a student athlete for sure. But the hours that you give, the, gym, the weight rooms and the football fields and the baseball fields and the gymnasiums, if you're a basketball athlete, or the track, whatever it is, you have no idea unless you've done it. It's hard to sell somebody something that you've never owned. You've never lived in a house. It's going to be pretty hard to sell somebody a house. But you love the fact that these young men and these young women are, are getting it, they're understanding, it, and they're hopefully leaving with a degree that they can carry with them forever because I say it all the time. Being an athlete is something that you do. It is not who you are. I learned that at an older age. 
because the identity, identity excuse me, of what you do every day will easily make you feel that that's who you are. But trust and believe me, the hardest day of an athlete's life is when you put those cleats on the wall, on a hook, or in the closet, or whatever it is where you've signed off and that's it, you're done, no more sports. I'm still not there, matter of fact, as far as a lot of my buddies that play softball. You know, I played baseball through high school and into college and so on. But I'm just not there yet. I can't turn in my baseball glove for a softball mitt. It's just it's not happening. It's just not the way it works. We're going to take a break, guys, when we come back. See if we can catch up with uh, Coach Smith, Coach Smitty over there, see if he can catch in here with us. He had his guys over on the beach doing a beach run. Uh, they wrapped up. Uh, this, it looked like summer workouts. Now we're about into two-a-days. So two-a-days is where you're going to have everything go live, go real. Everything's going to happen real fast as we're going to get from one end to the next. And you're going to see everything start to kind of go from the two-a-days to the pregame or to the preseason to the season. So we come back. We'll hit it with that. We're also going to be joined again at 1015 with Coach Reedy. So don't go anywhere. Grab yourself something to eat. Grab yourself something to drink. Come back. We'll be right here right after this, guys. Don't go anywhere.
sitting with your friends to y'all reminisce about the days growing up and the first person you kissed. And as I think back, makes me wonder how the smell from a grill could spark off nostalgia. All the kids playing out front, little boys messing around with the girls playing double dutch. While the DJ spinning a tune as the old folks dance at your family reunion. Then six o'clock rolls around. You just finished wiping your car down. Time to cruise, so you go to the summertime, hang out, it looks like a car show. Everybody come looking real fine, fresh from the barbershop, applies in the beauty salon. Every moment fronting and maxing, chilling in the car, they spent all day waxing, leaning to the side, but you can't speed through two miles an hour, so everybody sees you. There's an air of love and of happiness, and this is the Fresh Prince's new definition of summer madness. Now, for the utmost reports on sports of all sorts, let's join Richie Altman and Eugene Benton on Southern Sports Central. I'm Richie. I'm here live on Southern Sports Central. Glad to have you with us here on this beautiful Saturday in South Carolina. It is the 22nd of July, which means we're so close. Oh, we are so close to kick off under those Friday night lights. We've got a lot of jamborees that are starting to set up here around the low country, around the great state of South Carolina, where I guarantee you it is the best of the best high school football on a Friday night. We'll put it up against Georgia. We beat the state of Georgia in the Shrine Bowl, which, by the way, last week they had their combine. They're going to be naming those guys who get them, make that team. The top 45, I believe, is what they take with them. But don't worry because there's a few other bowl games that we definitely uh, embrace, if you will, endorse. The North-South game, another signature senior bowl that's up in Myrtle Beach. That's going to be, of course, in December. They'll get the – Next wave of selection, and then our good friends over at the Blitz, uh, the high school Blitz, they will have their game uh, as well. That's usually around the same time as uh, Ken and his crew do what they do to give seniors and juniors, by the way, because they have a junior bowl, and uh, they give those guys a chance to put their talent on the field. We were a part of that for a couple years. It was a good time, a great run. Matter of fact, it was the first year that Ken came outside of the upstate and brought it to the lower state as well. We represented the lower state. They had the upper state. We met them in the middle of the state in the first year in Columbia. And it was a good show. It was a great opportunity to get our athletes together, get a lot of great coaches together uh, that did not get picked for the Shrine Bowl, did not get picked for the North-South game. So we got it together. So I encourage 
as long as you're doing it the right way. Because I know there's some border bowls, and a good buddy of mine does a, a, a game over, I believe, in Camden. Uh, so I encourage it, and we will embrace it, and we will endorse it. As long as you're doing it for the right reason, and you're doing it the right way, we're all day. We're in. Now, coming up, it is about that time to bring in a man who has made a huge stride in the game of football. Now, we talk about Coach Reedy. Now, Coach Reedy is a guy who will tell you the way it is. Don't ask him a question. You don't really honestly want to know the answer because he's going to give it to you straight up. And that's what we love about him. And that's why he is a part of our family here on Southern Sports Central. So let's bring him in as he's now getting in the chair, getting comfortable here with us. And, again, uh, this is the great one, the one and only Coach Chuck Reedy. Let's bring him in. like that, ladies and gentlemen, we roll out the red carpet for the legendary Hall of Fame coach, Chuck Reedy. Coach, welcome back to the show. Hope you're having a good summer and staying cool. Yeah, we are, Richie. It's great to be with you. I appreciate you having me on. Always a pleasure. You know, I talked to a good buddy of yours. He he coached uh, with you a few years ago during that state championship run over at Goose Creek. Uh, Scott Durham. Coach Durham, I know, is listening as he's traveling today on the road. And, uh, Coach, I didn't realize when you were at Baylor during that uh, tenure, you actually had a guy named Mr. Gundy that was a part of your staff, who's now, of course, is the head football yeah. coach at Oklahoma State. <laughs> yeah, we uh, <laughs> we had some uh, we had a good staff. It must have been the head coach that was <laughs> that screwed it up. But um, we had uh, you know Mike Gundy, we had Larry Fedora, um, you know, was was on our staff. Andy McCollum, who. Andy went on and was the head coach at Middle Tennessee, and now he's the head coach at Sewanee. Um, you know, we had a we we did we had a really good staff, a lot of good young coaches that have have gone on and done very well. Now, of course, you spent a good a good bit of your career over there. You know, getting the opportunity to be the OC, then you took over the head football coaching job. Of course, what, what was different, coach, in, in the state of Texas? They say everything is bigger in Texas, but you won a national championship as the running back coach, if I'm not mistaken. You were also the offensive coordinator during your time at Clemson uh, there with Coach Ford. Uh, What was the difference there at Clemson in comparison to being in the state of Texas? Well, you know, Texas football, um, you know, there's nothing really like it. I mean, um, you know, just the emphasis. um, You know, when I first went out there in 1990, um, as the offensive coordinator and, you know, and that, that spring, you know, went, you know, visiting high schools and what have you, you know, I was just blown away with the, you know, the, uh, I think the first school I went to actually, um, you know, I was, I went, you know, probably seven thirty eight o'clock in the morning and, and this is in May and they're, they're out there practicing. <laughs> I mean, they're in full pads. I mean, I mean, uh, scrimmaging. As a matter of fact, and I said, "What the heck?" And uh, you know, so yeah, they 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 were practicing before school, 
and and then they you know then they'd go change go to class and then they practice again after school but uh you know just the emphasis and uh and then the facilities are just you know beyond anything you know we've got some in south carolina certainly there's a lot of schools that are really you know have nice facilities now and there's a lot of upgrading that's going on but you know you're talking about you know 25 30,000 seat stadiums um, you know, and just you know, just the emphasis that that they place on high school football, and you know, and it shows. Hanging out with Coach Chuck Reedy, he's got a state championship ring here in the state. He's got a national championship ring also here out of uh, coaching in the state. As he was with Clemson uh, in the '80s, he was at Goose Creek uh, later in his career there, where he, that was his final stomping ground and final sideline that he got to run up and down. Uh, but so many great memories, Coach. Before we start hitting some of the topics that you and I are going to get into today about high school football and, and, and some mm-hmm. of the things that I'd like to hear your thoughts on, uh, as you start to kind of look at it, you, you spend time at Baylor, you spend time at, at Clemson, but you also spend time at that other school, they would say, if you're a Clemson fan, the University of South Carolina. <laughs> what, what was the difference of being at South Carolina with Brad Scott that year as an OC in comparison to being with the Danny Ford and those guys up at Clemson? Well... You know, and I only spent one year at South Carolina, and you know, I, I no offense to South Carolina, but I'd kind of like to take that off my resume because it wasn't it wasn't a very good year. But the thing that, and God bless him, Mike McGee, you know, was a very you know guy was a, a very good athletic director, and and you know, of course, a great football player. But you know. <laughs> They didn't at that time. Now I think it's obviously has changed. If football, you know, they just were not going to put the resources into football um, like Clemson did. And when I was at Clemson, you know, money was no object. I mean, you know, we we didn't even know what a recruiting budget was. I mean, we spent whatever money we needed to spend, you know, to do you know whatever we needed to do. And at South Carolina, you know, Coach McGee was. You know, it was all about money, and you know, you had to be, you know, you just, you know, you, you were things you couldn't do because you couldn't spend the money. And um, you know, I can remember, um, you know, they had the new end zone facility, but it was, you know, it, you know, it was, it still didn't even compare to, you know, what the the other better programs had. Now, you know, again, I think all of that has changed over the last, of course, that's been 20, you know, over 20 years ago. But, you know, that was the big difference in the time, you know, being from Clemson and, and then going to South Carolina. Now, you talk, you talk about facilities, Coach, uh, and I would agree with you 100%. And I tell our guys all the time that being a, being a, being a Gamecock guy myself, played in South Carolina in the baseball field, but I look at when did South Carolina take that turn? Of course, they lost the coach uh, unexpectedly in the 80s. But when they brought Brad Scott in, of course, if I'm not mistaken, he came in from Florida State. He took them to their first mm-hmm. ever bowl win down there in the Carquest Bowl. By God, West Virginia, they played him in Jacksonville. But it was Lou Holtz to me, Coach, that when they brought in Lou Holtz, it was like, okay, even though we know Lou's not going to be around forever, but Lou's going to bring a different type of mentality and only allow certain things to become what they are. But as Lou got here and changed a lot of things in Columbia, then they got this guy named Steve Spurrier. Because without Lou, there is no Steve. And without Steve, there's no Shane Beamer, right? And, and to me, That's, you've yeah. seen the revolve of South Carolina. Coach, just your thoughts on the four different South coaches and how it is very important. It's about who you know and, and, and of course, leaving that mark behind so that when that opportunity happens, somebody's going to call you up and say, hey, I got a spot for you. Yeah, well – 
you know, again, no offense to to anybody, and but you know, if you've got a Sparky Woods or or you've got a Brad Scott, um, you know, they they don't have a lot of clout. I mean, and and you know, it, it may be you know, Brad Scott may go into to the AD and say, hey, I need, um, you know, I, I need to pay this guy at the time. Well, I was the offense coordinator making less than a hundred thousand dollars, and um, you know. Um, but you know he he makes say hey I need one hundred fifty thousand dollars to to hire this guy and they say no we can't afford it whereas a Lou Holtz has the clout to go in and he say hey you know I need one hundred fifty thousand dollars you know and he's gonna get it and the same thing with Steve Spurrier I mean they they had clout whereas a, a guy like Brad a guy like Sparky you know and, and shoot I was the same way at Baylor I mean I was just happy. You know, I was happy to be the head coach, you know, but I didn't have a lot of clout because I didn't have any kind of, you know, I didn't have a record to back up, you know, what a guy, you know, like Spurrier or Holtz, you know, those guys can, you know, can do. Now, Coach, you did spend some time in the state of Florida as well as the state of Georgia before you became the head football coach at Mm -hmm. Goose Creek, which, again, you won. Uh, in my eyes, you, you should have won a, a handful of a state championship rings, but you did get one while you were over there with the Gators and had an incredible mm-hmm. staff loaded with a bunch of five-star guys running up and down and around the football field. What was the difference in high school football as we now start to get into these? We look at your resume, very interesting as you spent that time down there in Georgia at Appling County High School, and then, of course, down in Florida, which, again, Florida and Texas have some similarities in Georgia, as well, mm-hmm. they take football Friday night very serious at Baker County High, high right. School. What was the difference there, Coach, even though it was one at the beginning and one at the end, but your difference in the three states and three different style of high school football? Well, now keep in mind, um, when I was at, in, um, in in Baplin County, that was in the early 70s, and then the mid-70s in, uh, um, you know, in Florida, um, you know, the the and the thing even at Goose Creek and and this is what has changed a lot. Um, when I was at you know when I was in um, in in at Baker County High School, I was the athletic director and head football coach. Um, you know now um, you know when I went to Appling County, the uh, the head football coach was the athletic director. When I went to Goose Creek High School. I was the head coach and I was the athletic director. And that was the case with everybody in Berkeley County. And Berkeley County at that time was probably one of the two or three um, better counties in the state to work in uh, as far as, you know, being a football coach. Because you, every football coach was the athletic director. And, you know, that, you know, that gave you control of the program. It gave you control of the money. And, you know, it, and being both of them, they were able to pay more. And, and so you were able to get better, you know, better coaches. And, you know, that's the thing, one of the things that certainly has changed, you know, that's just not the case anymore. And, you know, I, I just think, uh, obviously I'm prejudiced, but I, I think that that really benefited, um, uh, you know, high school football and it, it, it certainly helped. And, you know, and that's just not the case anymore. Hey, and I was Coach Chuck Reedy as we are talking high school football right here on Southern Sports Central. I'm Richie Alpin on this beautiful Saturday in South Carolina's, uh, Coach, you start to look at it. And, and again, one thing that you see the change, the biggest change 
is that they're, for whatever reason, as I grew up in the 90s playing football, playing baseball, but our athletic directors were 99.9% our football coaches. Now what they're doing is they're bringing in an administrator to run the football program. Mm-hmm. And here's my problem, Coach, and I want to hear your side of it, but yeah. the cool, the great part of being the athletic director and only the athletic director, it, it, there's enough things for you guys to do. As the football coach, you take care of your program, but as an athletic director, it's basically it's a school within a school. So when you take an administrator who's got to look over a ninth grade or 10th grade or 11th or 12th grade hallway on top of an athletic department, to me, Coach, personally, I think we're shortening the guys in the athletic field, which is not fair to them, when they need as much attention as they can because Coach Smitty's listening in and on the line with us. He says it as well. Control is the biggest thing when it comes to being uh, a football coach and other positions as well. No, there's no doubt about it, Richie. I mean, and, and that's what I was alluding to. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think we've lost that certainly, um, you know, in, in the low country, I, I, I guess if I'm not mistaken, and, and I'm not sure about cross, but, but, um, um, you know, Fort Dorchester with LaPrade being gone, you know, I think he was the last, certainly the last one of the larger schools in the low country that was the athletic director and head football coach both. And of course they've been the best program in the low country, you know, (laughs) ever since we left. And, um, you know, so I think there's something to be said about that. And, you know, that, and that's not to disparage the other sports. Um, you know, when I was at Goose Creek, we won a, we won a state championship in basketball. Um, you know, and, and so it wasn't that we, you know, didn't care about the other sports, but you know, football is 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 the engine that drives that drives that car, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, you better take care of football because it's the one that's going to pay for all the rest of them. And so, you know, I think you you know having the head coach as the athletic director, um, you know, you had control of the money, you had control of where it was spent, um, you know, you had control of of how you. Um, allotted your your coaches, you know, as far as you know, uh, responsibilities and what have you, and um, you know, there just were so many things that you know. When I came to Goose Creek, you know, Ray Stackley was um, obviously was at Stratford, Jerry Brown, um, you know, was was at Berkeley, um, you know, we you had Coach McKissick and and um, you know and and ultimately Laprade at, at 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 Fort Dorchester, you know. You, you had great coaches, um, you know, and, 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 and great programs, you know, it, it wasn't just football, but they had good programs in, in all their sports. And, um, you know, and that's, you know, that's not to say that there's not great coaches, you know, that aren't athletic directors. I don't mean, mean that, but I, sure. I just think that we're missing a little bit or we're losing some of what we had back then. Well, I, I, I can tell you this, Coach, and I, I think you just hit a topic that I didn't even think about. Yeah, I, I see that. I see that, matter of fact, when you were here and, and you came in, I believe, in the late 90s and coached uh, for a, a couple of handful of years here in the low country, uh, why, God, yeah, Ray Statley was in, in, over there. You had – Somerville had Coach John McKissick. You had Steve LaPrade. You know, you had some of the great coaches. And I don't want to miss anybody because there were so many. Jimmy Noonan was over, it, 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 of course, over across the river over there at Wando. But there were so many good coaches. I mean, it was probably, honestly, I would say the low country had the best of the best in coaches during that era. That was probably our highlighted era of so many great coaches. But you guys also were running the programs and running the right way. 
and funds were being funded the right way. And again, I struggle with a little bit of things. And again, I understand everybody has their own entity, but they're trying to figure out where the funds go. But like you said, last time I checked, and I was a baseball guy, we did pretty good with seats. But when I played on Friday nights, I remember looking at the stands, and there were a lot more people in the stands on Friday night than they would be at any of the other events, which, again, that's paying the light bill for not just football. It's paying all the light bill, right? So you've got to kind of grease the hand that's feeding you a little bit more, in my opinion. Well, no, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, you've got to prioritize that. And, um, you know, and it's just, it's, you know, we, Berkeley County and, you know, Rodney Thompson, you know, was a good guy, but, you know, he started that and, um, you know, and then, then it became, um, you know, that's what they wanted to do. And, you know, I, I don't know all the, the dynamics of it, but I, I, I think somehow they, they, they gain an extra person by using right. um, an administrator as the athletic director. And, you know, I don't know how all that works, but, um, you know, I know that they, they do. They, by utilizing a, a, a principal or assistant principal, you know, they're, they're basically saving themselves one, one allotment. And, um, but, you know, you, you've got, and, and, and I'm sure some of the, the administrators who are ADs, um, you know, are, are very good. I don't, I mean, again, I'm not trying to disparage them, but, um, you know, some of them don't know a lot about athletics. Some of them don't know a lot about football and, you know, and that's, that's a detriment to the, to the school and to the program. Hanging out with coach Reedy, who spent many times on many fields from here to Texas, down to Florida, into Georgia, on Friday nights and Saturday afternoons. And he's hanging out with us here on a Saturday morning on Southern Sports Central. Uh, Coach, looking at some of the things that have changed, I mean, look, that's the inevitable change is guaranteed. And if you don't change with it, you will be left behind. And in this state, that's always a change. And high school football, the direction of this game has definitely gone in a little different area. Now you're hearing more of the word charter schools. Now, charter schools is a dirty word in a lot of areas and a lot of shows, but not here. We like to talk about the things that are uncomfortable but we need understanding, Coach. As you know, there's the Oceanside and a few other schools across the state of South Carolina, but you also have the James Island High School. There are charter schools, and there's other schools that apply for charters, which basically means if anybody wants to go to the school within the county, that they can. I'm not saying there's recruiting, but let's just be honest, Coach. Recruiting's always been here. Social media just let us see it, <laughs> you know, from darkness to light. What's your thoughts on these charter schools? Let's, let's pick on – you know, the Oceanside, the Gray Collegiate, the New Myrtle Beach, by the way, they've got a new school getting ready to open here in another, I think, this year. Should they be allowed to play in a 2A program, in your opinion, knowing the type of talent that they've got in there? And, of course, don't really see any really opportunity to see competition until they get in about the third round of the playoffs uh, because of the classification they're put in by the student body. I, I, don't, I don't think that it's, it's fair. And, and you, you referenced Scott Durham. You know, Scott Durham – you know, does a tremendous job, you know, at Andrews. And, um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, they're a 2A school. And, you know, he draws <laughs> – I actually own a subway in Andrews. I, I know what Andrews is like. And, you know, he draws from a, a very, very limited, um, you know, area. And for him to be in, in, in you know, competing in the same classification with an Oceanside – which you know has the ability to, to to draw students from from the you know the whole area. I'm, I'm assuming I guess it would be all of Charleston I, or, or whatever that particular uh, district. But 
um, you know, of course that's not fair. Um, now, what do you do with them? I, I don't know. I, I, you know, you know, either they, either you put them in their own, you know, their own league, their own classification, or you know, you you make them play up a classification or, or up several classifications because no, it's not it's not fair. And 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 Richie, the here's here's the next thing that's getting ready to happen. Um, I'm probably getting ahead of. of where you want to go, but um, you know NIL now is is legal in 19 states. Um, you know North Carolina just made NIL legal. So what that means is it's, it's just a matter of time that NIL is going to be legal in, in, in all 50 states. And what is that going to do? Okay, you know, now if you've got NIL, if you've got NIL, at, 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 for example, at Oceanside, and, and you've got money, you've got people that, that can give, keep, uh, give kids jobs promoting their program or promoting their businesses or whatever, you know, where is that going to go? I mean, I mean you're going to have, you know, you, you, there's going to be the, the ability for certain schools you know, to attract, you know, players from all around. I mean, um, you know, that's coming. And, and you know, so how, how, I don't know how, how that's going to factor in, but I can assure you um, Scott Durham and Andrews doesn't have the, the resources to use NIL like uh, Oceanside would. So you've got to find some way, you know, to make it equitable. Coach, I think you're never ahead, by the way. I've got to kind of run the show how you respond, to be honest with you. So we'll, we'll kind of go on it that way. And you mentioned NIL, and, and you're right. Now, the problem, of course, is the different areas are going to have different funds, right? I mean, let's look, be honest. Somerville shuts down on Friday night. Are you well aware of it? You yeah. played against Somerville. You see how yeah. quickly that stadium gets packed out. But if you go to other stadiums around the area, you know, I don't want to pick on Wando, but it's not going to be quite as packed out. Or some of these other little schools that are not going to be packed out if you want to go down classifications. So the people that pour into Friday Night Football are going to be those lawyers and doctors and business owners that are going to be available for NIL. They're going to be able to help out or be a part of it. Like you mentioned, Andrews, I've got half of Andrews, the Morris family. That's my half of the family over there, and we, we pack out half of that town. And trust me when I tell yeah. you that it's a whole different ballgame in Andrews than it is in Mount Pleasant, yeah. than it is in James Island and Somerville and Goose Creek. So there right. is going to be a conversation to be had, but then – you look at the transfer thing. Kids coaching, and this is kind of going forward with it, you're seeing kids because of social media go in and, and tweet out that they thank you for all that you've given me. Now, this is a sophomore in high school, Coach. Imagine if you were at Newsweek mm-hmm. and one of your guys was doing yep. this. He said, thank you, Coach, for the time. I appreciate it, but I'm taking my talent to <laughs> Ashy Ridge. I don't want to mention any yep. names, but Ashy Ridge, right. he hits no, no. in. That, to me, yeah, is well, concerning. But where's the rules came in play there when he's already enrolled well, in a high school and he's mentioning going to another high school? Yeah, well, uh, here, here's the next thing. And, and it's, it's just like, I mean, college football is, in my opinion, is basically, uh, uh, well, it's, it's ruined. It's being ruined by the transfer portal and NIL. I mean, it's, it's not, obviously it's not a amateur sport anymore, but, but, Eventually, the, the the transfer thing is going to come to the high schools because all all it's going to take is 
is one case in California where, uh, you know, they, they take it to court and they say, well, no, you can't tell my son he's not eligible if he wants to go over here. And then, and then that'll be the next thing. I don't know how long it'll take for that to get here, but eventually it's going to be where kids can come and go and go where they want to go and play. And, and so, um, you know, it, it'll be, it'll be like college is becoming, there's going to be, there'll be, you know, six, eight schools that'll dominate everything. Because you know they're they're going to have the 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 NIL resources and and what have you to attract kids, and um, and 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 that you know that's that's where it's going to be. Now you you alluded and and I'm gonna I'll, I'll tell you something. Um, you alluded to Somerville and to Wanda, and and you're exactly right. But I'm going to tell you why Wanda is like they are. Um, it's because they don't. Uh, this is probably going to sound terrible, but they don't really care about football. Uh, football's not important to Wanda. Wanda doesn't even have a, a, an athletic football class, and you can't have a program without that. I don't care who you are. And they're the largest school in the state, and it's not important enough for them to have an athletic football class. Now, but I can tell you this. In 2012, when we played at Wando, Jimmy Noonan was there, and they were, I think they were undefeated, and we were undefeated, and that place was packed. You couldn't get anybody. I think the, the um, you know, they, they couldn't let any more people in for, you know, fire safety reasons or whatever. But if, if, if football was important to them, they'd pack their stadium, just like, just like Somerville does. You know, I mean, it, but it's not important enough to them to do what it takes to have that kind of program. So, you know, they've got, you know, what they've got is what they, you know, obviously what they what they want. And, you know, it's, it's not important to them like it is important to uh, to Somerville or even to Goose Creek. When, you know, at least when I was there, it was it was important. And it was to Stratford and it was to Berkeley. Um, but you know, you haven't seen that anywhere in Charleston County because it's not important enough to them, Richie. Hanging out with coach Chuck Reedy here on a beautiful Saturday morning on Southern sports central on the coastline of South Carolina and talking high school football. And we're getting into the uncomfortable conversations here on the show today. And that's why I love coach Reedy because he will tell you this, the way it is. And I, I gotta tell you, coach. The coaches like you, and I'm not, I'm not talking about any coach in particular, but overall there's a lot of coaches who will, who will tread some waters here. And to be honest with you, I feel, Coach, if we would just say what we feel. It's like a relationship. If you feel some way, say something. I can't fix what I don't know. But because of repercussions, there's a lot of concerns there uh, that we don't want to fix it because, to me, we're so far behind, Coach. You look at – let's go to spring ball, Coach. I mean, in the state of Georgia, they scrimmage other high schools. And the conversation yeah. that I'm hearing from coaches or players that, well, we're scared they're going to get hurt. They're going to get hurt against the other 11 guys on their team as quick as they're going to get hurt on 11 guys on the other team. And 11 is 11. But to me, it gives the opportunity of bringing another team in the, in the stadium, open the gate, make a little money, take that money, yeah. give it to charity or whatever. But to me, it brings a community or two together, which right now, you know as well as anybody, we could definitely use some togetherness in the community around not just Charleston, but around the country. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I, I can um, uh, share with you in, in the 70s, 
Um, we we actually, I think it was Georgia and Florida, if I'm not mistaken, we had um, we had jamborees at the end of spring practice where we, you know, we it wasn't wasn't a, a, a full scrimmage, but there were three or four teams that would come in and then we would, you know, do a jamboree like they do in, in the fall now. But, no, I mean, the, the idea of, of um, just what you're saying would be great. It would it would generate excitement, and certainly it would, um, you know, give the kids something to look forward to at the end of spring practice instead of scrimmaging against themselves and would, you know, certainly would, would, would generate some revenue. Coach, it seems like to me now more than ever, high school football doesn't stop. I've got, of course, a bunch of you guys I talk to constantly, and you and I were just talking, uh, was it last week or earlier this week, about, you know, you, you, you know, your wife had said, well, you know, it's about that time, Coach, you'd usually be getting ready for two-a-days. Well, it sounds like they do it every day now. They're not on the 707 camp, or they're not visiting campuses, or they're somewhere. High school football is a 24-7 job, yeah. even for the athletes, Coach. Do you like that aspect? Because it feels like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the 90s, we didn't and I did play baseball, so I was a, I was a two three sport player, but it just yeah. didn't feel like we were always on the football field. There's some ups and downs onto it, but for me, give me your thoughts and opinions on on, on us not really seem to have much of a down season. Yeah, you know, I, I think there, you know, even when when I was in college football, um, you know, we always thought it was good. Um, for the guys to get away for at least, you know, a half a semester in the summer or whatever. I mean, get away for, you know, a few weeks or so. Just get away from it. Um, you know, I, I actually was, was with some high school coaches last night and talking about, um, you know, I think they're going to they get started on Friday. And we said, well, you know what, you know, getting ready to get started. They said, well, you know, it never has stopped. So we've been practicing all summer, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like they're just getting ready to start practicing. Yeah, getting ready to, to you know, to start with pads and all of that kind of stuff. But, but it never stops. I mean, and, and in order to be competitive now, you know, you don't you, you don't have a choice. You, you've got to go, um, you know, uh, pretty much year-round. But, no, I think it's good for guys. You know, I've always thought it was good for them to, you know, as you mentioned, participate in other sports, you know, just to to get away from football for a little bit and, you know, do something else. And then then when it comes time for football, they're, you know, they're, um, you know, they're regenerated and, you know, and they're excited and ready to go. Hey, and I'm with Coach Chuck Reedy here on Southern Sports Central. Beautiful Saturday, a hot Saturday, another hot Saturday, Coach. We're going to hit 100 degrees today, and I can tell you, I've, uh, I don't know who keeps praying for heat, but they need to back it up a little bit because it has been a hot, miserable summer, and definitely the hottest week we've had this week for me. I can, I can attest yeah. to that. I, 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 maybe it's my age at 45, Coach, but it just hits you a little different when that breeze comes across, and it's not cool. It's a hot breeze. It's like morning breath on you. It's just miserable. Uh, Coach, look forward to recruiting. Gosh, has it changed so much, Coach, since my day of of being recruited in the 90s and your days of recruiting on a college campus in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s to even your days of being recruited as a high school athlete, your days, Coach. I mean, wow, the the opportunity these kids have for social media with Twitter and Facebook and TikTok, and I can keep naming them, God, they keep creating them. But as good as it is, Coach, it's not all good. It's not all gravy. 
hit and send is probably one of the worst things these kids can do. And I tell kids all the time as I try to help as many young athletes in our state as I can and say, look, if you wouldn't hit send and send that to your grandma, don't hit send at all. Because I'm telling you, it takes me 30 seconds to screenshot it, and it takes you three minutes to figure out how to delete it. That being said, talk on that as well as, Coach, about recruiting. You mentioned it earlier. This transfer portal is real. And these kids are going to a Power 5 school. The window is smaller than it's ever been because these guys can basically go up to the 7-Eleven to different aisles, which has different athletes, and get a kid that's already got that freshman break-in point because they've already been somewhere. They've already got a little bit of film from college possibly, so they can get it that way. So for these kids to go to college and play at a higher level, it's at an all-time higher struggle, I believe, because of the transfer portal. But kind of touch on recruiting overall for me, if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, it, it 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 is different, but it's not different. And I say that in that, um, yeah, there's the social media and all of that. And, and even when I was at Goose Creek, leading to what you're talking about, and as far as social media stuff, I mean, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking to our kids about what they posted on social media because, I mean, uh, the colleges now, I mean, they scour that, you know, if they're recruiting a guy, um, you know, they're they're looking to see, you know, if this guy's posting a bunch of bunch of crap and whatever, and it, it can affect their, uh, you know, their being recruited. But when I say it hadn't really changed, I mean this, it still all comes down to, you know, is a guy good enough to play or is he not? And, you know, if he's good enough and the high school coach is doing his job, then colleges are going to, you know, they're going to find them. Um, you know, I get not as much as I used to, but, you know, a parent will call me and, you know, want me to, what can I do to help my son? Well, you know what, there's really not a lot you can do. I mean, either he's good enough or he's not good enough. Um, Obviously, going to camps can be beneficial. But, you know, it, it really all boils down to, you know, what kind of player is he? You know, is he a guy that is that is good enough to be recruited? And, again, like I said, as long as the high school coaches, and most of them do, as long as they're doing their job and making sure that they've got a recruitable athlete, that the colleges, you know, are aware of it, the college, they're going to come, and they're, and, they're, and, and they're good enough, they're going to find them. And, um, you know, yeah, some of, you know, sometimes a guy gets overlooked or he's a, you know, the, the, the biggest difference now and in, in, in what it was, you know, 20 years ago when I was doing doing it is, is that um, the the recruiting process is now advanced about a year from what it was then. You know, I mean, they're just about – they're almost finished now, um, almost finished with 2024 recruiting, and, and, and they're halfway finished with 2025. And, you know, that just wasn't the case back then um, when I was involved with it. You know, you, you know, this this time of year, we'd have, you know, we would have just been getting started, you know, with with the um, the real heavy recruiting part of it. Um, obviously, we couldn't do official visits until the season, so you know, all of that, you know, has been accelerated, you know, at least a year, and so it all happens a lot lot quicker now. Meaning that a guy who is a late developer may get overlooked. Um, 
you know, whereas in the past, you know, that really would not have been the case. You know, nowadays, you know, if you're not recruited before your senior season, you know, you, you're going to have a hard time. Um, and, and back then that wasn't the case. I mean, you know, what they did their senior year, you know, played into them being recruited. Talking high school football here with Coach Chuck Reedy. He, of course, uh, joins us from time to time. As Of course, if you haven't been to the Comeback Shack, by the way, Coach, I'm going to show you guys some love over there. You've got not one but two locations and working on a secret third spot here soon, hopefully. Uh, but, of course, one of them is right down the road from Charleston Southern. The other one's over in Mount Pleasant. Best burger in town. Matter of fact, best burger in the state. If you don't come here to South Carolina, come to Charleston and get one, shame on you. But, Coach, uh, man, the success you're having from there, you carry a lot of it. Uh, that I'm sure a lot of things that you've learned in your days of being an athlete, you just kind of apply it to being a business owner, and it kind of carries over to the success that you're seeing at not one, but now two locations. Yeah, you know, I, I think it all comes down to relationships, uh, Richie, and you know, and just how you, you know, how you deal with people and how you treat people, and you know, obviously, you know, we try to put out a good product, but you know, we we also want to have a welcoming uh, environment and a place where people can bring their families and you know and, and enjoy a good meal um you know and 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 feel like they're treated well and uh, you know we've been very blessed and you know we're we're hoping to open another four or five really in the next um, in the next five years in the charleston area should be a good time i know coach smitty he's the uh, head football coach over king street he's uh he's one of your biggest fans he actually was uh texting me a minute ago saying Hey, let Coach know I'll see him soon over there in the dining room. Uh, so that's another thing, Coach. You see a lot of these uh, coaches coming through, right? I would imagine uh, it, when you have a chance to slow down from being in the back because, uh, you know, I know you're a hands-on type of guy as well, whether you're in the front or the back of the house. I've had a chance to sit down with you and have a burger, the one here in North Charleston. But to see some of these guys that you've either coached or, or, or that you uh, had as part of your coaching staff, how cool is it to see a lot of these guys come back through and even to make make it a point to come through because they don't live here in Charleston anymore. Yeah, no, it's always it, you know it's always great. Um, you know, former players, former coaches, um, it, it's always awesome, and especially when uh, you know when the the, the high school um, clinic is is um, uh, you know in Charleston, which I know it's in Greenville this year, but when it's in Charleston, uh, you know we do we get a lot of you know a lot of uh, a lot of business from the coaches, and, of course, it's greatly appreciated. Now, of course, I just got a text from somebody else, their inbox here, saying the chicken fingers, by the way, are also on the top of that list. Make sure you got to try it. <laughs> Coach, <laughs> that, that's a huge yeah. plus, too. There's so many guys and girls that support our show because of the way we do it, just like the way that you do it over there at the Comeback site, the way you did it at Goose Creek, doing it the right way. And we talk about that with our athletes all the time. Guys, I say all the time, do it the right way and the right things will happen. If it doesn't happen, it's okay. It wasn't meant to be. But continue doing the right thing. It's never wrong to do the right thing. And I think that's the thing that this young generation coach, and uh, the final thing I'll kind of get with you, as you now deal with kids in a different aspect in the kitchens, right? I mean, getting them to come to work, it's it's a trial. Putting their cell phones away, well, that's almost like a – that's the hardest thing you probably got to do, Coach. What are some of the things that you see with this generation now? Because, again, the workforce and the athletic force, all of that, these kids are, are doing the same on both levels. What is the biggest struggle for a, a, an owner of a company that has teenagers or a college, or high school football coach 
that's trying to get these young athletes to buy into what they're doing. Well, I mean, it, it is a it is a different generation, and and you know, I think obviously the the cell phones and the the social media is is the biggest difference from you know from what it was when when I first started coaching, but. By and large, Richie, I mean, you know, young people, you know, I, I think they, you know, they they still respond well when they know that you care about them. And, you know, in, even, you know, if we've got an employee in one of our restaurants, it's it's no different than a than one of your, your players when you were coaching. I mean, if they know you care about them as a person and they know that you have, you know, their best interest, you know, at heart, um, you know, then then they're going to respond to that in in a positive way, and and so you know that's what we try to do is build that kind of culture and that kind of environment. Same thing we did when we were trying to build a football uh, culture. You know, let them know, hey, you know, we're going to work hard and we're going to be tough on you and and we're going to demand a lot from you. But, you know, we love you, we care about you, and, and we're, you know, we have your, you know, best interest, at, you know, is, is first and foremost. And, you know, I think people respond well to that. Well, Coach, I do want to say thank you so much for always answering your phone when I call, always taking a chance to come in here and talk high school football. There's so many things that I could go through, but I, I promise you I wouldn't keep you longer than an hour between the family and the business. you got a lot going on, but – it really means a lot. I'm going to see you soon. I'm actually going to head your way, if not today, tomorrow, and, and actually have a burger myself. But uh, thank you so much for believing in what we do here at Southern Sports Central and just believing in our young athletes. And for all the years, the decades and decades of time that you gave away from your family to give other families, uh, we appreciate it. And that's why we, of course, we got you tabbed as a Hall of Fame coach because in my book, that's definitely what you are, Coach. Well, thank you, Richie. I always enjoy visiting with you, and uh, you know I'm – you know, anything that I can do to, you know, to to help what you're doing, um, you know, I appreciate the service that you're providing because, you know, there's, uh, <laughs> they need it. The high school coaches and players need it right now, and uh, we appreciate what you're doing. Well, again, Coach, thank you so much. Enjoy the Saturday. I'd say stay cool, but that's kind of uh, not happening here in Charleston <laughs> here today because it looks like it's 100 degrees again. So uh, enjoy it, Coach. We'll catch up with you soon. And I got you and I kind of agreed this year during the football season we can count on you to get you in here for a few minutes and uh, we'll break down some film together and uh, we'll see if we can get better together, Coach. I appreciate it. Sounds right. Thanks so much. All right, Coach. My pleasure. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, the Hall of Fame coach himself, Coach Chuck Reedy, joining us there. Always fun to get the coaches in here. And a guy like Coach Reedy, I'm going to tell you guys, if you've never had a conversation to sit down with them, you're missing out an opportunity to learn a lot of stuff and as much time as he gives you. I mean, he started his days of playing high school football, and then he went to the next level, the next level. And then he said, well, I'm good at playing it. Why don't I coach it? So he did that in Florida. He did that in Georgia on the high school ranks. And he thought, well, you know, I'm thirsty. Let me get a little bit of something extra. I'm going to go to college. And he won a national championship while he was there at Clemson University. For all you Clemson fans, Danny Ford fans, he was your running back coach during those days. And then he got promoted to the OC. Then he took his talents to Texas, became the OC over – <laughs> and, and I got to be honest with you, seeing what he has done and seeing that he became a head coach, and like you mentioned, he had Fedora, he had Coach Gundy, and I wanted to ask him about the characteristics of Coach Gundy, but I knew I didn't have the time frame, so we'll table that conversation because remember for you football fans, Coach Gundy's that 
well, he's a man. He's 40. Remember, he had that huge uh, press interview or press conference there where they were attacking one of his players. He's the head football coach at Oklahoma State. Of course, Fedora was the head football coach in North Carolina for a little while. But uh, just so much knowledge when you get these coaches. And, man, when you stop and think about Bryce Statley, Coach Brown over at, at, at Berkeley, Coach Reedy hanging out at Goose Creek, Coach Pratt doing his thing at Fort Dorchester, and, of course, the most all-time winner is Coach, Coach McKissick at Somerville. Man, that was – it was – so many big names. And Coach Jimmy Noonan all the way on the other side. But, again, I don't blame Coach Noonan because I think his hands were tied at Wando. I, I don't believe – kind of like he mentioned, South Carolina in the, in the 80s and in the early 90s really didn't take football serious. Not like Clemson did. And that's coming from a Gamecock guy. I feel like that's Wando. I don't know if it's still like that because Coach Rocco, I know it. I see you, bro. I know you're trying. But you can only do what you can do with what you're given. Got to give the guy a little more. I'm also believing that a lot of these athletic directors who are administrators, I can tell you for firsthand, the coach, the, the athletic director over at Somerville's first class, he's a big athletic guy. I'm a big fan of him. But he can only do what he can do. I see football on Friday nights changing in different ways. And I don't like it. I'm not a big fan of the turf, but I get it. I understand the economic part of it the opportunity for them to get the field dry quicker, to get the games in. I understand that part. It doesn't sit very well in August when that thing's like sitting in a hot tub and the smoke's coming off the football field. And these core kids are out there in pads and helmets. But it looks good. It looks like a painting to me. Now, can we please stick to the green, though? Not picking on my coastal family or any other team that has a different color field, but can we stick to the green? Can we at least do that for Rich? I saw one in New Jersey from a D3 school that had it painted black. Oh, my God, the amount of casualties we would have in South Carolina with black AstroTurf. It's intimidating, but it needs to be in Colorado. doesn't need to be here. we got to go to break because Chris Phillips is joining us. Any minute now, he's going to jump in here with us, and he's going to talk the University of South Carolina football, the SEC Media Days, my man, made it big time, and he did it big time at Media Days. Did a great job with all of his things that he went through. The greatest question of all. Okay, it wasn't the greatest, but it definitely damn sure was one of the weirdest ones when a guy stood up and mentioned that he looked like Lane Kiffin. Now, meanwhile, Lane Kiffin, the one thing that we still don't know why anybody asked him, Lane looked like he just left the fraternity house to come to this meeting. His hair was all kinds of different ways. His shirt was a little razzle-dazzled. But the guy said, hey, Sometimes I get called Lane Kiffin, and Lane's response was, well, you could probably get some free drinks. Just be careful which school you go to in the SEC. And I'm thinking, well, damn sure he doesn't want to go to Tennessee because he's not getting any drinks in Tennessee. we got to reset in the top of the hour again. Coach Reedy, thank you. Much love to you guys. Check out the Comeback Shack in Mount Pleasant. There's one in North Charleston down the street from Charleston Southern. And Somerville, don't worry, they're coming your way. You heard it there from the coach as well. We're taking a quick break. When we come back, we're going to mic him up. We're going to get him ready to go. Chris Phillips. From the Spurs Up show is coming up right after this, guys. Don't go anywhere. Yeah. 
And now, back to Southern Sports Central with Richie Altman and Eugene Benton taking your calls at 323-784-9681. If you smell what the rock is cooking. Welcome back, everybody. It is now time to bring him in style. That is the one and only Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show straight out of Nashville as he's back from the SEC Media Days talking Gamecock football and much more. Chris, welcome to the show, brother. Richie, I appreciate you having me, man. Uh, Thanks so much. I I do want to say this before we get going, man. I want to give you guys a quick shout-out, you over at Southern Sports Central, man, because without you all, uh, the Daily Crow, our daily live show, which airs noon to three, would not exist because it was actually you guys' radio show that I first found and inspired me to jump into doing sort of a daily show, whether it be radio, video, what have you. And I actually messed around with Blog Talk Radio way back in 2020. And, again, that sort of birth evolving into the daily live show via video, taking callers, what have you. So appreciate you, man. Y'all keep up the great work and excited to be on. Man, look at this. A compliment from the man himself. Now, that's huge. You know, I, I got to give Jacob Altman, he, that's my son, he reaches out to you on a regular basis. I think he kind of goes back and forth. And when I said, you know, it was funny, um, I kind of had that moment when I said, well, yeah, you know, you'll you listen to the show on Saturday. I, I got Chris Phillips coming. No, Dad, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm dead serious. Chris Phillips is coming. Dad, no, seriously, is he really coming on your show? I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. I've been doing this since 2008. What do you mean, was he coming to my show? He's coming in here. And he started laughing. So he's golfing right now with an earbud in his ear listening to the show. And so I wanted to give Jacob a little love there. But, um, man, what you have done to watch you, Chris, when you and I first started having conversations, when you first started this, and it was a dream that you were had, and, and now here it is a reality, man. You're going to SEC Media Days, man. That's big. And you did an amazing job covering it with your uh, your videos, just your daily blogs, your daily information things. And then for you to be able to kind of go at people, you know, and, and not be worried. You're going to say what you believe in, and I, I, I applaud you for staying firm to the backbone that you have. It is what it is. And people don't understand that. And what we do, we see a lot of things that they don't see. We talk to a lot of people they don't talk to. We just don't name drop. And to me, I know the elbows that you're rubbing. I know the conversations that you're having. But also understand the hours at 3 a.m. that you're putting into this show, the Sports X show, man, that makes it what it is, man. So I just want to say thank you for what you're doing. No, I appreciate the kind words, man, truly, and it's really cool to, uh, over the years, obviously watch the evolution, and I always say the joy is in the journey, and I'm enjoying every step of the way, and certainly that's the case. And, I mean, SEC Media Days, man, the opportunity to go to an event like that and cover it, I mean, I'm, I'm just grateful for that. It was such a blessing. And, you know, I, I would say the greatest gift of all of the previous five, six days or so was, you know, talking to the coaches and the players and talking ball. I mean, that was that was incredible, and that's what we love to do. But, you know, being in the same building with so many talented creators and having the opportunity to meet so many people in person that I've had on my show that I continue to do work with, right, a guy like Jake Crane of Crane & Company, a guy like J.D. Pacal of On3 that I have on my show on a weekly basis but I had never met in person. 
uh, to meet those guys and to meet, again, so many people that I've had on my show and then, of course, meet new people, the networking aspect, the opportunity, again, to share a building with like-minded people and the most talented in their space. I mean, I, I would say it was, for the most part, the, the upper echelon or the elite of college football Twitter and college football media or what have you. So that was truly a blessing, man, to be able to, uh, to, to you know, share the room, I should say, with those people and, uh, you know, talk ball and, and conversate about content and business. But, no, I mean, again, man, I appreciate the kind words. It's been one heck of a journey, and I uh, can't wait to see what's next. Hanging out with Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up Show here on Southern Sports Central on a Saturday morning here in the great state of South Carolina. Chris, when you look at – you walked in this room, man, and I haven't had a chance. Maybe you and I – maybe we fly out to Texas next year because I know it's in Dallas next year, so maybe I need to start – saving my money today so I can be ready to go with you guys next year. Because I can't imagine. We've actually – we had planned on it before, uh, me and uh, Clemson Tom, who I know you know Clemson Tom as well, who uh, used to co-host the show with me here for uh, a few good years. Um, We talked about going to all the media days, you know, at least ACC and the SEC. But for you to walk in, number one, they moved it from where it's been to Nashville. That had to be cool in itself to spend – I mean, God, they had to twist your arm to go to Nashville, right? Music City Road and all that there. How cool was it from the minute you got off the plane? Give me some of your highlights, some of your key moments that you're going to remember when you talk about this first experience at Media Days for you at the SEC. Yeah, man, I'll say this. Nashville was a real treat. I was joking with some people, you know, of course, this being my first SEC Media Days, I was saying, you know, I'm not all that upset that I had to miss it when it was in uh, Hoover or Birmingham or what have Hmm. you. But, uh, no, Nashville was incredible, man. First off, the SEC does it first class. They take care of the people from – you know, the events we had, obviously, Monday night, we were out at the Nashville Predators Stadium, the NHL team, then Wednesday night out at Nissan Stadium, uh, home of the Tennessee Titans. The food was fantastic. The spread. You know, a, a couple of moments that stand out. I mean, I think the first moment has to be when I got there on Sunday afternoon and went to registration and actually picked up my credentials. Um, you know, and this is obviously the first event I've ever been credentialed for. And I tell you, Richie, and I tell everybody else this, and it's still true, that, you know, the way I operate and the way I do business – we don't need credentials to be successful, right? It's not an end-all, be-all. It's one of those things where I'm an opinion man, I'm a content man, and I don't need to be at a press conference or anything like that to to make that happen. But, you know, I, I'd be lying to you if I told you this, this didn't mean a lot, the opportunity to go. You know, I've told this story many times, but I remember sitting there 2014 watching SEC Mini Days and just thinking how cool it would be to be, number one, just covering college football or covering sports full-time, but also to be at an event like that, again, with the – the biggest and baddest in that space. And, you know, so it was almost kind of a life comes full circle thing or kind of a, not a you made it moment, but just a really, really cool moment when you think back to a moment like that and be kind of realizing a dream, if you will. Um, so it's funny, I was standing in line picking up the credentials and I'm sitting there in my head, I'm like, oh my God, you know, what if they sent the email to the wrong guy? I feel like it's kind of a <laughs> surreal moment, you know what I mean? You, you almost can't believe you're there, yeah. but uh, that was really cool. And then, you know, I, I would say on Monday, man, I mean, I go to, you know, I was able to ask, six different coaches' questions in the big room, which was really neat. But, you know, that first one asking Brian Kelly and, and they come over to me and my, my heart's – I mean, honestly, man, my heart was pounding, racing a 1,000 miles an hour. Just not because, you know, I, I'm, I'm used to having coaches on my show, players. I mean, I've talked to so many countless individuals. But just to be in that moment and, and it was something new and different, it was more so an adrenaline rush. I don't think I was really nervous. It was just the adrenaline rush of doing that. And I'm like, I'm talking to Brian Kelly. Like, the head coach of the LSU Tigers. So that was really neat, man. And, of course, to be in the room with Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and, you know, be within uh, – you know, be right there. I shook Billy Napier's hand. That was a really neat thing. And I, I met guys like 
Andy Staples and Brandon Marcello who are in the top of the top in, in the college football community and, you know, hung out with my guys, uh, Brad Crawford of 24-7 Sports, Connor O'Gara, Saturday on South, Chris Marler of uh, College Ball Uncensored. So, uh, you know, all, all the moments with the guys, all the moments with collabing on different shows and content and stuff like that. And it was a real treat, man. So, I mean, those would be the moments I would say that would really jump out to me. Also, you know, the, the media events, stuff like that. So they do karaoke yearly, by the way. The media does. Oh. I did not go to it, though, because it was Wednesday night, and, of course, Shane Beamer was speaking Thursday morning. I was like, man, i got to be on top of my game. i got to be fresh. I'm not trying to be out till you know, whatever time. I need to get my rest. So I did not go, but I'm hoping next year in Dallas I can make that a reality. But, uh, I mean, the week start to finish, I'll tell you this, Richie, I had high expectations and high hopes and, you know, sort of things I wanted to accomplish out of the week. But the week exceeded all of my expectations and then some, and I'm, I'm just truly grateful, man, that we had the opportunity to partake in such a great event. Hanging out with Chris Phillips. He is the Spurs Up Show. Does a phenomenal job with Gamecocks and SEC football, baseball, basketball. Chris, that's something else. Let me tell you something, brother. A lot of guys only do one season, only do one sport. Man, you cover and smother it all, man. You go from the track to the baseball field to the basketball courts, and here we are back in the football field. Uh, No sleep for the weary in what we do and what you do for sure, man. uh, Again, I'm definitely going to put on my to-do list is head out and hit an airplane with you coming and going to Dallas. And you can kind of break – you can kind of show me the ropes, man, because I've never been. I've always wanted to go, but this is my yeah. year. I said, this is the year I'm going to go. Yeah, I was going to say, Richie, too, you know, we, we didn't get a table this time around because on Radio Road just because of the fact that I got approved really late in the process. And it was actually right. after the deadline. So the plan is, now that we've been approved for one, I'm going to apply much earlier, and I would like to get a table on Radio Road. But I, I love the way it worked out because I was kind of able to – because I've never done something like that. So I was able right. to see sort of how other people were doing it. For example, like people have tablecloths with their logo on them. I would have never thought about that because I've never needed a tablecloth with my logo on it. So stuff like that. But it was really cool, too. To, you know, I, it's, I, I've been this way, Richie, since the start of my career, that I, I'm like a sponge. You know what I mean? You, you, uh, you do work with certain people or meet certain people or you observe how certain people do certain things. And it's kind of like we talk about Shane Beamer, right? Like you, you take things you like while also keeping your style and staying true to yourself. But you kind of observe and you, you, you pick up things that you like. Well, I like how he does this. Maybe I don't like so much how he does that. But you implement it into what you do and you put your own spin on it. And so I'll be really excited next year, man, to uh, get approved early in the process and, you know, get a table on Radio Row and, and book endless number of interviews. And this year I was really excited to just kind of sit in the main room and ask questions and stuff like that. Next year I think, you know, the focus will be in Dallas, uh, booking as many interviews as we can with, you know, all, all the talented folks that will be out there for sure. But to your point, man, about football, baseball, basketball, that stuff, I mean, I'm a huge baseball guy. You know what I mean? So when I first started doing this, I was like, I'm not going to not talk baseball. And if I'm going to talk two of the big three, I need to talk three of the big three. And also from the jump I just knew, I was like, you know, if I'm trying to do this thing year-round, do this full-time, make it into a full-fledged business, I was like, I think I'm just going to make it tougher on myself just talking about one sport. Well, now football's changed to the point where you really can talk about it year-round because the transfer portal, NIL, recruiting, like it truly never stops. But, you know, five years ago, six years ago, that wasn't the case, right? I mean, it was was not quite as intense as it is now. So, And and I'm just a guy, though, again, man, I mean, if you're an SEC content creator, I know some people are just wired for football, and I totally respect that. But for me, man, I feel like I was missing out if I wasn't talking SEC baseball. You know what I mean? At minimum. And then even SEC basketball, but certainly SEC baseball, man. I'm just, 
I'm way too much for baseball guy to miss out on that fun. But, uh, I mean, again, man, it, it's truly a blessing. And like I said, I appreciate the kind words from you. Well, you do a great job with it. I'm saying baseball, and I'm a baseball guy, so yeah, I agree with you. SEC baseball is as big as SEC football. And if you don't know, it's it just is. because you don't watch. Well, I mean, look at the look at I'll the College this, World Series. I, I, I think, I'll tell you this, Richie, and I told somebody this at SEC Media Days, actually, that, you know, the the number of people that take it in is, is smaller, no doubt, but the intensity, like, if you're a baseball fan, an SEC baseball fan, like, you're a diehard. Like, there's no question. Like, the diehards – are evident. So that's what makes it the opportunity to be successful in covering that is because those, those people that follow along with baseball, man, they're not casuals. I mean, they are diehard baseball fans. So, yeah, if you're, if you're not following along with SEC baseball, you're, you're truly missing out, I would say. No doubt. So we'll go back to the media days. Now, Chris, the one thing, and, and let's have some fun, and then we're going to get into some of that grit there during the – because I want to talk about some of the other coaches, and then towards the back of the hour, we're definitely going to get into Gamecocks. We're going to look at the NIL, the transfer – the expectations, the outlook of the 2023 season, of course, uh, you know, the, the conversation of uh, Coach Beamer uh, and all that he's continued to do. But let's stay with some of the other coaches first. Number one, and I've paid attention to SEC Media Days for a long time. I think it's part of the conversation of what you and I do and how much we bring to the table. You have to stay involved. You have to stay engaged or you'll get left behind. And that's mm-hmm. the worst thing is to be on the air and not know what somebody's talking about. But for me, the most awkward, the most awkward conversation our, our, our statement I ever heard was when Lane Kiffin was on the stage you know because you tweeted it out as well and I, I would like I want to hear your thoughts on this when the guy literally stood up another man stood up and told another man I'm told I look like you when I'm out in town that's that's uncomfortable <laughs> enough but the other side of it was the fact that Lane Kiffin looked like he just showed up from a frat house the night before where his hair was still messy his shirt was still kind of ruffled never a dull moment when Lane Kiffin's given a microphone yeah, I, I made the joke that it looked like Lane Kiffin tied one on last night on Broadway. Like he just came in wearing the same clothes. And, um, you know, he's a guy, it's funny enough, Richie, I, I said this before he took the podium, that Kiffin's a guy who's, like, socially awkward, man. Like, you can tell he doesn't really like doing stuff like that. And, and I mean, listen, these are human beings. Like, not everybody's wired to like public speaking and speaking to a big crowd. And, you know, some guys like Shane Beamer, they, they flourish in that setting. Some guys, they'd literally rather do anything else. So, you know, the only thing that – the thing that really disappointed me about the Lane Kiffin presser was – and I understand it's national media in there and they're trying to get their stories, but I'm sitting there like, man, I, I want to talk football and it's nothing but NIL for 20 minutes. And I, and I understand, again, because right. Kiffin is a walking soundbite and he's going to give you something to run with for a story. But I'm sitting here like, man, this guy has one of the best quarterback rooms in college football and nobody wants to talk about it. He's got one of the better running backs in the SEC nobody talks about in Quinshawn Junkins. Nobody wants to talk about it. So, anyways, you know, Lane Kiffin was a guy. Yeah, that quote you mentioned that we reposted was hilarious. He said, what does your mom look like? I mean, Kiffin Kiffin is a guaranteed soundbite. That's the thing with him. He's a guaranteed hot quote coming out of media days. For somebody like me, though, that wanted to talk football, I would have liked a little bit more. But, yeah, it was weird, man. It was a weird vibe, though, because he's just – he's so disinterested. He's so aloof. He's so socially awkward. And I I don't know, man. Like, I I love Lane Kiffin, the on-field coach. You know, I'll admit it, a couple years ago before the, you know, the name Shane Beamer existed and Will Muschamp was head coach at South Carolina, I would have taken Lane Kiffin in a heartbeat because we know his reputation. We know what he does on the offensive side of football. We know what he does on the field. But I tell you, man, in an era where selling your program is so important and being able to step up at the podium and be well-spoken and sell what you're doing, 
I don't know, man. I think Kiffin can do a little bit more. You know, I, I'm sure he's fine with the recruits. They do a good job in the portal. And it, the irony of what he was talking about was the fact that Ole Miss is one of the best in the country with NIL and transfer portal and all that. So maybe college football is a quote-unquote disaster, as he said, but they are benefiting greatly from it. But, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin, if you power rank the entertainment value of each of the coaches at the podium, I think Lane Kiffin probably deservedly would be at the bottom of the list. Right. And he's almost nervous. You ever watch him? It's funny he is. He's he's, he's almost socially awkward. He's socially awkward. And again, I I have empathy because it's one of those things where, again, not everybody's wired to enjoy doing something like that or be good at it. But it's one of those things you kind of feel like, like, if you're going to be a head football coach, man, you just got to find a way. You know what I mean? And at some point, he's been coaching long enough where I feel like it should be a thing where it doesn't bother him to that level. I, I don't know, man. I mean, like you mentioned, maybe he maybe he had a long night the night before and just, you know, what, what in the mood. I have no idea. <laughs> Talk about being in the mood. Let's go Jimbo Fisher. Let's uh, let's take a couple of hot shots around the SEC, around the uh, teams in the SEC. Jimbo Fisher, A&M coach. Mm-hmm. Now he is one of the businessmen that we talk about. He really indulged in the NIL deal. If you ask Nick Saban, Nick Saban mm-hmm. said he bought half his team and unfortunately fell short in a – a national championship run. That being said, now Jimbo understands that he's got to be the hottest seat in the room other than Billy Napier, which only, uh, Billy Napier just got that seat, but it's already getting warm over there if you ask us. What was your thought of Jimbo Fisher, his mannerisms, what's his outlook, what is your thought on Texas A&M? And here we go in a year from now, they're big brother, call it what it is, Texas is coming in the league. So they know they better get their stuff together today to be ready to play football tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Jimbo Fisher actually provided in a week that didn't have a ton of really big storyline to take away from it. I thought the week was actually pretty tame compared to, for example, last year when we had the whole, you know, Mark Stoop, Shane Beamer feud, what have you. I thought Jimbo Fisher provided one of the bigger storylines in the sense of he had the opportunity to take that podium and when asked about the offense and Bobby Petrino and how it's going to work, no matter how it's going to work behind closed doors, he could have said something as simple as, hey, we hired Bobby for a reason. He's a great offensive coach. He's going to call the plays for us this year. Excited to see what he does. Instead, Jimbo Fisher gives a vague, unclear answer on, well, you know, he's a good coach, and we hire good coaches, and we all have a, we all have a say in the game plan, and he and I will go back and forth. Because the question for Jimbo Fisher this year is, can he remove the ego and let somebody else call plays? That's what it comes down to for them, because they've got the talent. Richie, and he mentioned that, right, talking about guys are a year older, you know, all those dudes. You know, if you listen to him last year, he mentioned a lot that we're going to be really good at this position next year. We're going to be good at this position next year, next year, next year. Well, this is next year, right? So Texas A&M, there's no reason they shouldn't win at minimum eight games. Like, they have the talent on both lines of scrimmage. They've got a quarterback in Connor Wegman, I think, can be one of the, at minimum, a top half of the conference quarterback. They've got weapons, man. But the, and, I, and I thought what really stood out, too, not so much from Jimbo Fisher, because like I just mentioned, the Bobby Petrino thing was a huge storyline, and we won't know until it kicks off, right, how that's going to shake out. Right. The players from Texas A&M, I don't know if you noticed this, Richie, they were all wearing sunglasses. And apparently yeah. that was encouraged by Jimbo Fisher to carry this, this swag and this moxie in an SEC mini days, which to me is a red flag. I, I just – Jimbo Fisher is a very interesting character. The way he's wired, the way he does things, the way he says things, the way he operates, it's just different, man. It, 
it's different. No doubt there's a lot of pressure this year. You know, I thought he was confident in his football team for sure, but I thought the big takeaway in the storyline from him is that we know even less about the Texas A&M offense and the play calling and the dynamic of Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino. We know even less than we did going into SEC Media Days in Nashville. Let's keep working our way back towards the Gamecocks, and we'll stop in Louisiana. You mentioned a guy that kind of caught you by that, that starstruck that you felt when you ran into the coach from LSU. Now, of course, uh, Coach Kelly looks to have a good season coming up this year. Actually, he surprised, I think, a lot of people last year, Chris, and the performance that he put together towards the end. Because I think, if I remember, got to see so long ago that they started off a little sluggish, but, boy, they got some momentum, and they were kind of dangerous there towards the middle of the end. This year looks like a lot of people thinking that they might be a little hotter than normal. What was your thought process of, of, of Brian Kelly on the microphone? And then, of course, your overall opinion of LSU and what they're going to do on that side of the conference. Confidence. Supreme confidence is what I sensed, Richie, from Brian Kelly and everybody that LSU brought to the podium on Monday. And, and they, for good reason, they're my pick to win the SEC West. I think they go 11-1 and one this year. I do think they take on Georgia in the SEC championship, and right now i got the Bulldogs taking down LSU, but they're one of the top teams in college football. Now, their big question this season is depth, right? Because do I think they've got as good a starting 22 as, as anybody, but do they have the depth of Alabama? Do they have the depth of Georgia? Not necessarily. I don't think yet. And Brian Kelly has actually, Richie, mentioned that. You know, maybe they're a year away, a recruiting class away from really competing for a national championship. But you and I both know what the standard is in Baton Rouge. Uh, I love this LSU team. I think they're loaded. I think Jaden Daniels is ready to take the next step at quarterback. I think offensive line, while it was a big question for them last year, it got better as the season progressed, and they returned basically everybody up front. I think they're ready to be much, much better this year. Malik Neighbors on the outside is a fantastic player for them. You add Diggs out of the transfer portal, the running back from Notre Dame. If he can stay healthy, that boosts their running game. They've got four guys behind him as well that can, that can uh, help out in that department. And then you look at the defensive side, man. I mean, the return of Mason Smith that they lost in the first game last year. Harold Perkins at linebacker. He might be the best best defensive player in the SEC. Secondary is a bit of a question mark, so the pass rush has got to get there for LSU. But they're a team, I think, you know, they are, again, my pick to win the SEC West. And, listen, a lot of that has to do with I think LSU is really, really good. And I also think there's question marks in Tuscaloosa. And I know that the media picked Alabama to win the SEC West, which I thought, Richie, was really, really interesting. And I think it really just goes to show the amount of respect that people have for Nick Saban and just the simple fact that he's the GOAT and you doubt the GOAT at your own risk. But, no, nah, I mean, I, listen, I thought Brian Kelly was calm, cool, and collected. And what I sense from those in the media at SEC Media Days is that Brian Kelly was a guy that, you know, you really weren't sure about in regards to, you know, coming over from Notre Dame. We all heard about the culture fit, but also just being a fit like at SEC Media Days, was he really going to be a – a media favorite, if you will, and maybe a guy that came off as sort of as sort of corny and a salesman in the beginning. But it sounds like media is, is really warming up to Brian Kelly, and I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with him. Obviously, again, talking about Logan Diggs and talking about the running back position. But man, I think I think LSU is loaded. They got a huge test in Week One against Florida State. I think that is a pivotal game for them to start this thing off on the right foot. But I think LSU, man, again, they're my pick to win the West, and I, I think they're as good as anybody. Hey, we're not Chris Phillips. The Spurs Up shows one and only here with us today on a Saturday of South Carolina on Southern Sports Central. Chris, you mentioned Alabama, Nick Saban, the godfather of the SEC at this point. Hell, the godfather of college football, a soundbite genius. I mean, who, who, who's, who would be the daddy of Lane Tiffin would be Nick Saban. I mean, he loves him still. I mean, he doesn't, 
coach with him, but he, he's, he mentions him in almost every other conversation because that's the respect. Alabama kind of quiet, though, Chris. I mean, normally we hear about these big-time recruits and stuff, but what it is is that the facilities across the SEC and across the country are caught up to that yeah, environment somewhat in Tuscaloosa. Everybody's got the lights and everybody's got the bells and the whistles, but you don't hear a lot of it like we have in the past covering the SEC where Nick Saban had that, that very firm, stern, it's Nick Saban, Alabama, and everybody else. It's kind of that Kirby Smart and everybody else right now, if you ask us. But to say in Tuscaloosa, what, what's your thought of, of, of a very quiet, off, just almost an eerie feeling in Tuscaloosa this year? Well, and, and Richie, let's not get it twisted, right? Alabama, they lost two games last year by a combined four points, both on the last play of the game. They are still recruiting at a top five level annually. Like, this is still one of the best rosters <laughs> in college football. But when you have a new OC and you don't know who your quarterback is, that's a reason for questions. And I thought Alabama, you know, it was really cool, Richie, just to SEC Media Day specifically. The energy was heightened, like when Kirby Smart took the podium, right? But I had a colleague of mine, again, Brad Crawford, 24-7 Sports, somebody I consider a dear friend. He told me, he said, Chris, just wait till Nick Saban takes that podium. He's like, it's going to be different. And sure enough, it was, man. It's just you can tell, like, all eyes and ears, like all the attention is hanging on every word that Nick Saban is. Because like you mentioned, it's like he's the lord of college football. Like, you, you just – here's the thing, Richie. You just know and can recognize when you're in the midst of greatness. And that is Nick Saban to a T. I mean, he's the greatest college football coach ever lived, right? Kirby Smart right now might be the best coach in college football because he has won back-to-back national championships, and they are what Bama was a couple of years ago. But – Nick Saban is the undisputed GOAT. Kirby's got a long way to go before he catches up to Nick Saban. But, you know, I thought Nick Saban, one of my takeaways, I was surprised how funny he was, honestly. Like the carrot cake bit and kind of joking with the media, and I was expecting this this stern, serious guy. And I thought he was actually pretty humorous and, and lighthearted. And funny enough, Richie, I actually last night went to Food Lion and bought me a slice of carrot cake, and I thought to myself, if it's good enough for the GOAT, it's good enough for me. So I went and got me some, but uh, – Listen, I thought he was confident in his football team. He was, he was pretty much, you know, once he got and started talking about his football team, it was, it was business as usual. Um, you know, again, I, I think he believes that they can get right back to the SEC title, get back to the playoff. He mentioned numerous times about losing two games by a combined four points. But the quarterback question is the big thing, Richie, that is just hanging over Alabama right now. Is it going to be Ty Simpson? Is it going to be Tyler Buckner? Is it going to be Jalen Miller? And if you want to know, Richie, just to give you an inside deal of, of how uncertain folks are, I talked to three or four different people about the Alabama quarterback situation at SEC Media Days. All of them had a different answer of who will start at quarterback for Alabama. So nobody knows. Wow. Nobody knows going into this season who's going to be the guy in their center. Like, and when you have a question at the most important position on the field, that's a reason for concern. Also, you got Tommy Reese, your offensive coordinator, coming over from Notre Dame. I mean, what's he going to give you? Obviously, Kevin Steele returns on the defensive side at D coordinator. He's been there before, worked with Nick Saban. We expect to work that, work that out pretty well. And, again, let's keep it in perspective that people are talking about the downfall of Alabama. And, hey, listen, I'm someone – I picked Alabama to go 9-3 and three this season. And that sounds blasphemous, but you get Texas in week two. I think Texas wins that game, Richie. Until I see something oh. different, Alabama's got questions at the quarterback position. I think Quinn Ewers and company come in and win that football game, and it wouldn't surprise me if they won by double digits. I think Alabama, again, you've got to find the answer at the quarterback position. Now, Richie, let me say this. If Alabama finds that guy, we're having a much different conversation because Alabama gets LSU in Tuscaloosa late into the season. 
And this is a situation where, I mean, I think the quarterback battle could go on through halfway through the season. they got to find the right guy. But if they can find him, I mean, Alabama's as good as anybody. they got as much talent as anybody in college football. Listen, it would not stun me if the Crimson Tide are in Atlanta taking on Georgia once again in the SEC title. Because I, I, and I like a lot what you're saying, but you know, the one thing with Alabama, when you've got that much talent around the quarterback position, they just need a guy that can take the ball and hand it to somebody else. Yeah. We saw that a couple of years ago, uh, you know, when they had the yeah, – uh, Richie, Richie. Well, like one, more, the one more note on Alabama. Yeah, okay. sorry, not, not to mean to cut you off, but I was just going to say one, one other thing on Alabama that kind of that – you know, what's tough for me is, like, are they going to be better without Bryce Young and Will Anderson? That, to me, is like what's tough. You just don't lose two generational talents like that. But I will say this, a word of caution to the SEC and even to myself and those doubting Nick Saban. The last three times Alabama wasn't picked to win the SEC was 2009, 2012, and 2015. All three years, Alabama won the SEC and won the national championship. So when Nick Saban is doubted, they seem to play their best, and you know he's coming into this season with a massive chip on his shoulder. And, I, and, again, I, he's a guy. If there's ever a guy that I'm going to go and, and put all my chips on the table for, it's going to be a Nick Saban guy. Let's stay in Alabama, in the state at least, if we will. How about the return of a man back in the SEC? Hugh Freeze did a great job, by the way, at Liberty. We've had an opportunity to have him here on our show as well. I'm a Hugh Freeze guy. I'm glad to see him with another opportunity in the big boy league. Of course, he's uh, now in the big fraternity room again. What was it like? What was his – what was his feeling that you felt as he got a chance to come back home into a conference that he coached in uh, a few years ago uh, for the Denver shirt on, of course? Yeah, you know, Richie, I was kind of surprised that Hugh Freeze wasn't a bigger storyline going into SEC Media Days. Because, I mean, you think about what he did at Ole Miss. But he's one of, I think, three active coaches, the number, something like that, that has multiple wins over Nick Saban. I mean, this is a dude that has won at one of a very high level. He's taken down the best of the best. And, I mean, I think he's going to be a great hire for Auburn. I really do. You see how they're doing on the recruiting trail, the transfer portal. He's hit the ground running. I will say this, though, Richie. We played a game of stock up, stock down yesterday on my show, and stock down for me going into this season is the Auburn Tigers. And the reason is this. And I say that, I think if you have realistic expectations, I'm not so much speaking to you. But, you know, again, my good buddy Jake Crane, he's an Auburn man at heart. He's mentioned this could be an eight-win team. I've seen Auburn people talking about nine wins, beating Alabama in the Iron Bowl. But when you have your coach take the podium and say, patience, we are pleading with our fan base, patience. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. but he mentioned having patience early on in his tenure. That tells me you have a football team that has a lot of question marks. He mentioned it even, Richie, that he's never come into a season with so many question marks. Now, that doesn't mean Auburn can't go 7-5. and five. Like, It doesn't mean they maybe can't even get to eight wins. But if there's a team that I'm starting to feel a little bit less, I don't feel quite as good about, it's Auburn because of those comments. But uh, now, Hugh Freeze came off as, as a typical, I, I would call him the preacher of the SEC. Man, He, he, he takes the podium, and it feels like you're uh, – you're in Sunday service when he's talking to you. But uh, I, I think, listen, over the long term, I think Auburn got a great one. Uh, anybody was going to be an upgrade over Brian Harson, right? Similar to way, the way uh, South Carolina, they could have probably hired anybody and would have been an upgrade over Will Muschamp. But similar to South Carolina, I think Auburn got their guy. I think they got the right guy. And I think Hugh Freeze will have massive success there. But it's going to take time. They've got to upgrade on the line yeah. of scrimmage. They've got to figure out the quarterback position with Robbie Ashford and Peyton Thorne. Um, you know, what are they going to do at running back? Is Jarquez Hunter? What's his status, if you will? And, 
been on the defensive side, I mean, they've got some pieces in that secondary, but uh, it, it's just going to take time to build that roster and build up depth. And, you know, again, they're a team that would not shock me if, if they snuck up and bit somebody this year, a big blow. But I, I look at them, Richie, as one of those middle-of-the-pack SEC teams that, you know, probably floating in that six and six, seven and five range. But I liked what I heard from Hugh Freeze, man. But patience was the word that stood out to me, and that's something Auburn fans will have to have in his first year. Pastor Freeze is on the mic down there, of course, in Nashville. Now, they're slated to finish there towards the bottom, just above Mississippi State. Now, again, Hugh Freeze spent some time at Liberty. That's a bad – or Christian College, so maybe that's – he still has a little of that in his system, which is not a bad thing because you remember how he left the SEC. So we went down there and uh, figured it out. <laughs> hey, Richie, Richie, now, to your point, Richie, I mean, yeah. you mentioned bottom of the SEC West. I mean, I have, I have my last team in the SEC West. I have Ole Miss down there. I have them still going 6-6. Wow. Six and six. So the depth of that conference, the depth of that side of the mm-hmm. SEC, it's insane. I mean, it, it, it's truly incredible. What about Mississippi State, though? How, how weird was it? And this will be our last in the West, and we'll hit a few teams in the East, and then we'll finish with the Gamecocks. The stand two Gamecock fans, we're not, we're not not getting to our guys, but we just want to build to that, right? That being said, man, no pirate. Oh, man, how hard was it? Was he mentioned, you know, without having a, a guy who – and, again, we all – if you're a fan of college football, talk about one-liners. The one thing I can tell you, and, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart – uh, a guy that, that meant so much to so many was Mike Leach. I mean, this guy was – he was gold, whether he was interviewing on, on a radio show or he was on a TV or he was on the sideline. I mean, he was one of the guys that we knew we'd get a nice sound bit from. But did they mention him at all? Did they recognize that, of course, this is uh, – you know, he's not there this year. And, of course, he passed away in December. Mississippi State, the Bulldogs went to a bowl game and uh, now to run under a new guy. I mean, tell us the mindset of Mississippi State and what are your thoughts of them? Yeah, Richie, they did mention Mike Leach at the beginning of the week, and, and Greg Sankey spoke on him. I even posted a picture. They had, like, a big, uh, you know, on their slideshow, whatever. They had a memorial just highlighting Mike Leach. And, of course, that's something Zach Arnett, you know, he, he approached head on and spoke about it. And it's one of those things that it's a really sad situation. I mean, Mike Leach, he meant, like you, like you said, he meant so much to so many and a guy who revolutionized the game of college football and really the game of football as a whole. And, you know, it's just a really tough situation. You know, it's funny, Richie, I mean, I, I wasn't alive for this, but I was thinking about – I wonder if this is what Gamecock Nation felt like when Joe Morrison passed away in the uh, late 80s, if you will. But, um, you know, I thought Arnett, again, was great at the podium, was able to ask him a question about his football team, and I really appreciated him and his response. But uh, he's in a tough spot, man. He's in a tough spot. My my question is this. My my question is not can they win this year and surprise some people because – I think they will. I mean, you might recall, Richie, I've got them beating the Gamecocks in week four, Willie B, which has not been a very popular pick, but it's a game in which I see South Carolina coming off the Georgia game. Maybe this is a nooner, if you will. And I, I still think they have a quarterback in Will Rogers who's one of the best in the SEC, bottom line. I think he's a guy who's he's not getting talked about enough. They have a lot of quality depth. Now, the big question on the offensive side is adjusting from air raid to the pro style, and he mentioned that, and that Kevin Barbe offensive scheme and just, you know, how, how they're going to how they're going to adjust to that. But, uh, you know, I, I think when you've got a quarterback like Will Rogers, they, you know, they, they lost a couple of weapons on the outside, but he gives you a chance, right? And then defensively, you know, they've been really stingy under, of course, Zach Arnett, who was a defensive coordinator, defensive-minded coach. So, you know, I, I think Arnett, I think they can win this year. I, I really do. I think they can get to seven wins. I think they can finish above expectations, which, of course, is last in the SEC West right now. My question with Arnett is just, is he going to be the long-term answer, right? Because I, I just – it's a different animal and a different beast when you're building a program. And I think that's something we just don't know, right? I, I would probably lean towards no. I, I know Mississippi State Nation loves him and lo- loves him for taking over that job. But it, 
it almost feels like to me, Richie, that, that Arnett is more kind of that bridge guy until they get somebody else. But it's a tough job. Somebody needs to step in from all I've heard, and we talked to some Mississippi State folks, that he was the right guy for the job and he was the best fit for the situation. But, you know, certainly it is a tough situation. But, again, I look at their football team, and you got a quarterback like Will Rogers. I think you have a chance, and it wouldn't surprise me if they stunned some people this year just because of that offensive attack with him leading the way. But, you know, I, I thought Arnett was great, but certainly it's a tough situation with the, uh, the loss of the late great Pirates. As we, uh, again, we paid homage to him, was it two days ago when we, of course, just kind of sat back, Chris, and thought about what he meant not only for Mississippi State, what he meant for the SEC, but what he's meant for the game of college football. Just his, and again, he was a genius. Uh, he went to school, if I'm not mistaken, at Pepperdine and got a law degree. I mean, this is a guy, he's a lawyer as a football coach and, and proved that you can do both and be successful uh, in his mindset. Now let's move over to the East and we look at Vanderbilt. Boy, I tell you what, Vanderbilt, Anchor down is their theme, but anchor down is what they do year after year. Do we ever see them not having to anchor in it down and actually lifting it up and being a top part of the SEC? I'll tell you this, Richie. You know you're in for a crazy year of college football when I could convince you that Vanderbilt's not going to finish last in the SEC East. And I'll tell you this. I love Clark Lee. I, I, I love the way that he approaches things. So when he says that five and seven is not good enough, that, that, that's, that's not our standard here. We want to be the best program in college football. And some will snicker and laugh, and, but that's the guy you want leading your program, right? And the fact that he's trying to instill that and bring that to Vanderbilt, he's a Vanderbilt guy. He played his football there. He cut his teeth there. And I think he's a great fit for the Vanderbilt Commodores. Now, when you're talking SEC coaches and ranking the top coaches, you know, he's probably still near the bottom. But I think Clark Lee is a great fit for what they want to do. Uh, you know, again, I was able to ask him a question, just asking about the running game. They lose Ray Davis to Kentucky from the transfer portal. He feels like their offensive line is ready to take the next step and have a running game that is, you know, that is going to help out their quarterback, A.J. Swan, who I think is a really underrated player as well. I think he's actually a pretty solid quarterback for the Commodores, all things considering when you talk about the talent around him. But, you know, listen, Vanderbilt, we all knew they were going to be finished seventh in the SEC East. But, again, I could convince you, you could convince me as well, that Vandy may not be the stellar dweller this year. They beat Kentucky and they beat Florida, <clears throat> excuse me, last year. So this is, uh, this is not your daddy's Vanderbilt. I, I don't think this is going to be a one- or two-win team. I think this is a team they could get to four, maybe five, dare I even say maybe six wins in this season. When you look at the non-conference, the way they start, and they're finally, by the way, starting to – invest in football. You know, I, I think one of the things I was able to talk to a couple of Vandy guys in Nashville, and it sounds like Vandy's biggest opposition over the years has been themselves in, in regards to just not wanting to invest in football and spend the money. They look at themselves as more of a academic institution, right, than anything. But I think if there's anybody that's, that's, the, that's a great fit to lead Vanderbilt moving forward into this new era of college football, it is a guy like Clark Lee. And he's a guy that, you know, maybe we're saying this because the Gamecocks have won 14 in a row with the Commodores, but He's a guy that's hard not to pull for, right? His energy is infectious. He gets up at the podium. He, he sells his program. And, you know, I, I would not be surprised if Vanderbilt didn't pull an upset or two yet again this season. But certainly it's a tall task, right? You're, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle with the talent disadvantage, with a home field disadvantage, basically not having one, right, especially with the construction. They'll play in a shell of itself, a uh, shell of their own stadium this season because of the construction. But they're finally starting to invest, and that's one of the things, Richie, that he mentioned that I took away, the pains of progress, the pains of progress. When it comes to building a program, when it comes to investing in your program, when it comes to getting better facilities, 
they're doing that. I'm sure there's going to be some painful moments along the way, but I think Clark Lee is a great fit for Vanderbilt. Hanging out with Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up Show. Looking back at a week that was for this man who hung out in Nashville and rubbed elbows with a lot of big-name coaches and guys to do what we do. Of course, the players were in-house as well. Let's stay in the state of Tennessee. Boy, I tell you what, Rocky at Rocky Top was a big hashtag all week long after they were kind of thrown uh, under the bus by the NCAA. And, of course, they got a new coach there. He had nothing to do with what was happening, but he's there to pick up the pieces. We've seen this before. Tennessee, not a bad program. They had a pretty good year last year, by the way. Finished off by winning their bowl game and won a few other games along the way and actually were in the conversation with national championship hopes all the way towards the end until they came to Columbia when that was kind of – knocked out of the conversation. Now, being said, what's your thought of Tennessee, the state of mind of Tennessee, and what do we look for them? And, of course, all of those involved nation coming up this year. A lot of confidence, Richie. Which You know, it's funny. A lot of these coaches, you didn't really hear anybody express major concerns over their football team. I, I thought Josh Heifel, yet again, he exuded that. They're a confident bunch. They brought Joe Milton with them, and that was the topic of conversation on Thursday at SEC Media Days in regards to Tennessee. And it's, it's kind of interesting to me, Richie, how they sort of just they stuck Tennessee there at the end, right? They're trying to keep the media there all week and make them stick to the very end. But it's almost like Tennessee got somewhat forgotten because they were the very last team to go. But, uh, no, I mean, listen, Josh Heifel being in the building, I got to see Joe Milton up close and personal. I wanted to see kind of the physical stature of the build. He is a monster, dude. And, obviously, we know about the arm talent. We know he can throw a football 90 yards. The big question for him is going to be just the touch. Can he throw the changeup? Can he throw the touch pass? Because how many 90-yard passes have you seen thrown in college football during a game? Not many, right? That's the big question mark for them. And, and, and the question I was talking to a couple of Tennessee guys there is just simply, I mean, after last year and what Hendon Hooker did, you know, Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, that entire crew, can you really be better offensively? And they tend to think they can be just as good, right? Uh, you know, I, I sense the feeling that there is a – there's mixed feelings on Joe Milton. I think there's some people that think they're going to take a step back. I think there's a lot of folks, though, that think Joe Milton can be the next guy because, dude, it's, it's such a quarterback-friendly system, right? You look at what they do offensively, it just bodes well to the quarterback, and they've built sort of this brand, and Josh Eiffel's done it as well, that they're going to be an offensive juggernaut, man. And when you have an offense like that, you've got a chance to win a lot of ball games. Like you mentioned, an 11-win season a season ago. Their big question mark defensively, though, offensively, we know Joe Milton defensively, it's that secondary, man. I mean, they were one of the worst in college football a season ago. We saw it in the South Carolina game, the Gamecocks and Spencer Rattler took advantage at every turn. So, uh, you know, Josh Heifel and Tennessee, they feel confident. They've taken the necessary steps on the defensive side, made those strides, trying to be much better against the pass. But I think Tennessee, yet again, is going to try to outscore people. And the question just simply, is Joe Milton going to be the answer? They sounded confident that is the case. We'll wait and see when kickoff arrives. Let's move across a little bit further away into the state of Kentucky, the Bluegrass State. I'll tell you what, Chris, year after year, they find it. They've got the right coach in Stoops. This is not your granddaddy's Kentucky. This is not even your daddy's Kentucky if you're guys my age. This is that new age era of watch out, here we come, and we don't know about what we used to do. We know what we do, and that is we find ways to win. Do you think this is another great year and another step up for Kentucky as they continue to find themselves – nowhere near the bottom and kind of sniffing towards the top some years. Richie, outside of Texas A&M, I think Kentucky has the opportunity to be the most improved football team in the SEC this year. They were a team that, you know, again, we played stock up, stock down yesterday on my show. Stock up for me was the Kentucky Wildcats. 
And, and I already thought Kentucky going into the season was going to be an eight-win team. I'm expecting to bounce back. But I felt even better about Kentucky after what I heard from Mark Stoops. You know, he preached physicality. They were not good on both sides of the line. That is an uncharacteristic of a Mark Stoops coach team, right? You look at them over the course of a tenure, why have they given so many teams fits? Why have they given the Gamecocks fits? Because they're physical. They're physical at the point of attack. They may not have all the, the bells and whistles and all the talent that you have, but they are going to whip you up front. And they get guys in that program that buy into that, that believe in what Mark Stoops is preaching, and they get the most out of those guys. And so he obviously mentioned they got to get back to that. But when you have a quarterback like Devin Leary coming over from NC State, who was so good for the Wolfpack two years ago, beat Clemson, by the way, in Raleigh, we might recall. Um, Liam Cohen, obviously the offensive coordinator, he mentioned that. Um, you know, coming back, you know, Kentucky's offense was prolific when he was there in Lexington. Uh, and then, you know, I, I was able to ask him and talk about the wide receivers. This might be the best group, and I would say it is, when you have a guy like Dane Key, Barry and Brown, and the rest of those weapons they have, they return their top five pass catchers from a season ago. I think it's safe to say this is the best group of weapons, wide receivers specifically, that they've had in his tenure in Lexington. And that's pretty impressive when you think about the guys. Obviously, the offensive line was a question last year was not very good. They brought in guys from the transfer portal. They have a transfer from Alabama, transfer from Southern Cal. They have revamped the offensive line. So I think they're going to be much improved. Depth, again, is a question, right, like many other teams. They've got to stay healthy up front on both sides of the line of scrimmage. But I think Kentucky is going to make a massive jump on the offensive side of the football. I think they're going to get back to what we've seen under Mark Stoops being an eight- or nine-win team. Again, this is not the Kentucky of old, right? Gamecock fans are so used to, you know, a decade ago, the Gamecocks had won like nine in a row against Kentucky and were beaten by double digits on a yearly basis. This is not that Kentucky team. This is not that Kentucky program. Kentucky had a down year last year with Will Levis. I think actually, Richie, Devin Leary, there's a, there's a chance he's a better college quarterback than Will Levis. I, I really do. I, I think there's a good chance he is. If he's back fully healthy and from the Kentucky guys we talked to, it does sound like he's going to be 100% healthy going into the season. So I think Kentucky certainly, man, like I mentioned, you know, they pick up Ray Davis also uh, from the transfer portal coming over from Bandy, Demi Sumo, the NC State transfer running back. So they have loaded up. They were one of the big winners in the transfer portal, and I think Kentucky – I think that is going to lead to a big-time bounce-back season for the Wildcats. Now, talking about healthy and state of mind, let's head down the floor. Billy Napier, very common name here in the state of South Carolina. You've got a chance to meet him. Uh, hot seat. It is uh, expectations in Gainesville. Anytime, uh, you know, you, you think Florida, you got to think championships. You think Steve Spurrier. You think, of course, uh, a few other big names that have done some things down there as well. But, what is the state of mind in Florida for you? I know a lot of the coaches, it looks like they've kind of, or the media's kind of got them sitting in the middle or towards the bottom, actually, towards the bottom of where they'll finish this year. Do you think Florida has a breakout year? Or this is one of those, uh-oh, this may be some issues down in Gainesville. The state of mind from Florida at SEC Media Days, I think they like being under the radar. I think they like being slept on. I think they're excited to prove people wrong. At least that's what they have in their mind. Uh, Billy Napier, a guy, you know, someone making the joke at SEC Media Days, he's a guy that can sort of put you to sleep, right? He's not the most energetic in the world. But I thought it was really interesting hearing him talk about his football team. And the big question, Richie, Graham Mertz, our quarterback. And every quarterback ranking I've seen, including our own, has Graham Mertz at the very, very bottom. And that is a that's a weird thing, right, when you're talking about Florida quarterbacks, to have the Florida quarterback down there at the bottom. I mean, you think about Florida football, Richie. When is the last time there was less hype going into a Florida Gators football season than this one? I mean, I think you've got to go back pre-Spurrier. Like, it's been a – like, seeing the win total 
a five and a half next to that Florida logo, it just doesn't feel right. But that's the situation they're in. And I'll tell you this, if Gator fans, Richie, can be patient, I think Billy Napier can be wildly successful there. His big thing and his big question, the question is, can he make it to the point where he's going to be able to get, you know, benefit from the fruits of his labor? Because they are recruiting at a torrid pace. I mean, they, they are recruiting as good as anybody in the SEC. The problem is, like you mentioned, he's got this schedule in year two. Year three, next year is even more brutal. They play 11 power five teams in that 2024 schedule. Florida, the team, I'm not expecting a lot. I've got them going five and seven this year. I'm not expecting a lot from Florida. I, I, I don't think Graham Merch is the answer offensively. They got a 29-year-old defensive coordinator. Uh, they got issues. I mean, they just got issues, bottom line. At the same time, no. it, Florida, Florida is one that it, it's kind of like I'm keeping extra eye on because it just maybe it's because I'm just lost and I'm thinking of Florida football like they should be better. You know what I mean? Like Florida right. should be better, and they they still have some talented pieces. And we saw what they did to the Gamecocks last year, right? Getting 38 to six in Gainesville. So. I don't think Florida, listen, they have a tough start of the season having to go to Utah. That's going to be a really brutal matchup. But, and I don't have high expectations for it. But, but what I picked up from the Gators, Richie, they like being slept on, and they're excited to surprise some people. So we'll see if they can do that so this year. Great minds thinking light. I thought that as you were speaking, I was like, yeah, but I remember a South Carolina team with the Gators and got throttled after that was the game that they were supposed to win. You know how that goes. Uh, before we hit the Gamecocks and uh, break it down and finish up with the Gamecocks, let's talk about Georgia. It, 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 I guess there's, this is one of those teams that there's, it is what it is. They are the elite. Everybody's chasing them, even though Kirby Smart has said, we aren't being chased. That's just not the way it is here. We're chasing the national championship. I can't control what anybody else does, but no, we're not getting that at all. Just kind of a quick segment, a quick piece on Georgia. I mean, basically it kind of speaks for itself as they're looking for a three-peat. First team, by the way, in the SEC to ever do that if it's done this year. Better never rest, Richie. That was the motto from Georgia going into the 2023 season. And uh, like you mentioned, it's, it's, it's Georgia's world. We're all just kind of living in it when it comes to college football these days. I thought Kirby Smart sounded confident, as he should be. Um, you know, I, I was surprised that the media did not more, more hold him to the fire when it comes to the stuff with the AJC, which we've seen in the last couple of days, what happened with that, but also the off-the-field stuff. You had the one question from Pat Forty, and that was pretty much it. But, uh, yeah, talking football, man, I mean, short and sweet, they are the creme de la creme when it comes to college football. And they were picked to win the SEC for a reason. And, you know, Kirby Smart mentioned it's all about fighting complacency. And that really goes to the theme that I've heard from Georgia folks this offseason, that Georgia's biggest opposition in terms of winning a third straight national championship, it's Georgia. It's Georgia. Complacency and, and, and those things setting in, that's what they are fighting. I mean, especially when you look at their regular season schedule. There's not a team on their schedule they should lose to. I mean, the game at Auburn and at Tennessee, those games give you pause. Dude, outside of that, they should roll through everybody else. And I made this point as well a couple of days ago. Is their schedule favorable? Sure. But the reason for that is because Georgia is just so much better than everybody else. They are what Alabama was a couple of years ago, right? So they're the heavy favorites. They know they're the heavy favorites. They carry themselves that way. It was really cool to hear Kirby Smart speak on his football team. He's a guy that, you know, listen, I know Gamecock fans hate Georgia. I don't like Georgia, but I do love listening to Kirby speak. He's probably the greatest motivational speaker that we have in college football right now. But better never rest. That was the motto for Georgia this season, and, I think that's the motto they'll carry to the SEC championship game and beyond. Better never rest, guys. I'm sure that'll be hitting Twitter here shortly at some point and a T-shirt along the way as we wrap it up here with 
Chris Phillips from the Furs Up Show, and let's finish with the boys in Columbia. The University of South Carolina took the podium. He was, by the way, Coach Beaver was the second most interested guy that I, from what I understand, people were making sure they were in their seats to hear what he had to say. Uh, he's taken a program from Will Muschamp, and, and everybody compares where they are now. I understand that, but it's the state of mind of the University of South Carolina. It's the, the nucleus inside of that locker room and across the board that may be a little different than what you had seen it years before. Now, South Carolina had another great year. They finished with a little bump at the end, losing to Notre Dame, but here they come back with a Spencer Rattler with a year under his belt in the SEC, and it's a big difference being a quarterback in the Big 12 and being in the SEC. Uh, you see quarterbacks finding that out, and Oklahoma and Texas figure it out next year. Tell me your thoughts on media days for the Gamecocks, and what is your thoughts of us coming into this year as far as South Carolina, and where do we finish? Where do we go bowling at the end of the year? Yeah, Richie, I, I thought Shane Beamer, first off, with his energetic, charismatic self, really stole the show with SEC Media Days on day day four. And, you know, again, that's what you expect from Shane Beamer, right? He's been the same dude since day one, and I think that's one of the reasons he's had the success to the level that he has. That's why he wins in recruiting, because he's just a real, genuine dude. And that's something I heard from other members of the media as well, that, you know, a lot of these coaches, they just they don't know how to turn it off, right, and not be so serious about football. Shane Beamer is just – he comes off as such a genuine individual, such a good person, and that's because that really is who he is. So, you know, he, he continued to sell his program, of course, uh, talking about the culture. You know, I think Shane Beamer is going to be a guy that, you know, forever and ever is going to preach on that culture and just how great it is and sell that, you know, why the University of South Carolina is a great place to play football and why it's fun and why you should do so as well. I mean, he looks at those opportunities. You know, we talked about Lane Kiff and how he doesn't like being up there. He's socially awkward. Shane Beamer is literally the opposite. He sees every opportunity behind a microphone, a camera, to continue to sell his program, to reinforce the culture they're building and reinforce the great things they're doing both on and off the field. And of course, he talked about all three three phases of the game. I was fortunate enough to ask Shane Beamer a question about his rush defense and certainly running the football, stopping the run. I mean, that was top of mind for Shane Beamer. Also, of course, he mentioned Dowell Loggin. You know, one of the things, Richie, that stood out to me, and I, and I knew this to be true, like when you follow the program right on a day-in, day-out basis as closely as we do, there wasn't a whole lot that Shane Beamer was going to say that was going to surprise you, right? Because, again, we are, we are following this thing so closely, so intensely daily. But, you know, he put it in perspective in a way I hadn't thought of in the sense that South Carolina has 38 new faces on this roster from what they had in the Clemson game at the end of the 2022 season. And he mentioned, Richie, that freshmen are going to play at every single position. And you stop and you start to think of all these guys, these transfer portal guys, but also these true freshmen they brought in, and you realize just how important and how much of a part of the success they're going to be for South Carolina this year. I mean, every single position you go down, they're going to need some of these new guys to step up and be big contributors. I mean, of course, he talked – Spencer Rattler, I thought limiting the turnovers, not turning the football over was something else that, you know, he really harped on. They've got to do a better job of. But, you know, Richie, speaking on the 2023 season, I've got the Gamecocks 7-5, and 4-4 and in SEC play. Um, you know, I, I think I look at South Carolina as, again, one of those middle-of-the-pack teams where there's a number of reasons you could convince me why, Richie, they could be a nine-win team. They could surprise people and be the breakout team in the SEC. There's also a number of reasons you could convince me they'll go 6-6. Six and six and that some of those questions they have will not get answered in a positive manner because South Carolina has a plethora of questions, right? <clears throat> One of the big talking points at SEC Media Days on day four was who's going to play running back? 
who's, who's going to be that guy in the running back position? And Beamer's talked on DeKevion Joyner and Pat he's going to have, and that was, going to be one, that was one of my big takeaways was that DeKevion Joyner is going to be a focal point in this offense, at least to start, right? I think he's going to get the first opportunity at the running back position to be that guy. But, you know, I, I think South Carolina as a team, 7-5 and five feels right for them. I've got them catching fire a little bit later in the season, beating Missouri, beating Kentucky. I do have them losing the season finale to Clemson at home. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be an up-and-down year yet again. I think when you have the question marks on the line of scrimmage that they do, you, you tend to have more inconsistencies, right? Because I think there's just there's going to be some matchups that just don't favor you, right? I mean, what's so interesting with all these middle-of-the-pack teams in the SEC, and I talked about it earlier in the week, South Carolina believes, for example, they should beat Missouri and Kentucky every single year. Well, here's the thing, Richie. Missouri and Kentucky fans, they feel the same way about South Carolina. No longer, again, are those fan bases or those programs, you know, doom and gloom. Our program's terrible. We're no good. Everybody's invested in football now. Everybody believes their team should win. So, you know, I think for South Carolina, the goal is to get back to the win total of last year, eight wins, whether that's eight regular season wins or eight in a bowl game. I think if you can do that, I think you start to set a new bar or a new floor, if you will, for the program where, hey, this is an eight-win-per-year program, which would be huge for South Carolina. But, uh, you know, e- even if you go seven and five in the regular season, I-, I think it's still you're making positive progress, which is what it's all about. But, you know, I, I-, I think – and you talk about the game that folks. Spencer Rattler, Kai Kroger, talking anyway. I thought Rattler, again, had some interesting comments just talking about, hey, at times last year, I trusted my arm too much. At times last year – we were doing too much when it came to personnel groupings and the offensive scheme. And, you know, I, I, I've got to be better. i got to limit turnovers. I can't turn the football over. So th- there were certainly, you know, Richie, a lot of interesting comments on the game, guys. But, you know, again, overwhelming what I sense from, from Shane Beamer. He's excited about this year. While they do have question marks, I think he believes that they can overachieve yet again and they can carry the momentum of what they did in the Tennessee and Clemson games from last year into this season. And, you know, I, I think they certainly can. They've just got a lot of question marks they've got to get answered in the meantime. And uh, I see South Carolina getting that 7-5 and five mark this season. Should be a good year. Should be a fun year. And you're going to be covering it from top to bottom uh, behind the scenes and on the football field as you do a great job at the Spurs Up Show. Uh, got you for a few extra minutes here. And I do want to say again, man, first of all, thanks for the kind words when you came in today and just for your time today. There's a lot more to cover. Unfortunately, I ran against my time. But – I wanted to talk football today. I'm a football guy. You're a football guy. There's NIL. There's transfer. There's uh, the new expectations for the new conference coming in. Maybe if you have time next week, I can pencil you in. And uh, if, I, I would love to have you come back next week, and we'll table some of this, and we'll kind of take it over from uh, from that point next week if you have some time on a Saturday to give me. Richie, anytime, man. We'd love to do it. Love talking ball, and you guys do a great job. And, again, I appreciate the opportunity. You're a good man, brother. Thank you very much. Real quick, let me give you some love, man. Tell them how to find you, how to listen to you, and how to catch up with you between the web and, of course, the Internet all over. Yeah, Richie, we're at the Spurs Up Show, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, wherever you get your content, we're there. Uh, We host a daily live show that airs exclusively on YouTube called The Daily Crow, which can be found, of course, at our Spurs Up Show, the Spurs Up Show YouTube page. That airs daily, Monday through Friday, noon to 3 and we do take questions, comments, and calls during those shows. By the way, that's noon to 3 Eastern time. Uh, and the podcasts drop daily as well, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts under the name The Spurs Up Show. And we also have a store, thespursupshow.com or tsus.store. 
You can check it out, man. Everything from Beamer Ball, Beamer Rattler 23, uh, QB1, Clem Socks, whatever it is, whatever tickles your fancy, we have the merchandise over there as well. So, like I mentioned, Richie, I truly appreciate you. And like I said, it was you guys are a big part of the reason why the Daily Crow is what it is now and what inspired me to get into sort of the daily live radio-esque type of shows. And I can't be more thankful for what you guys do. So, appreciate you, man. I can't, can't wait to talk again soon. You got it, buddy. I remember the first conversation we actually had. I can tell you where I was. You know, there's, there's moments, Chris, that you have with people that you're like, you know what? And I got off the phone and I called a buddy of mine. I said, I tell you, this guy right here, he's going to do it big. And Clemson Tom even gives you a lot of love, too, by the way. He said, because, again, he is part of our show when he has the time, but he and I did it strong for three years, where he said, this dude here's got swag and everything. And I can tell you, the folks at the Ale House in Somerville, that's what we need to do. We need you to come down to Somerville. You and I do a show together. We'll have some fun at the L House. We'll bring in some Gamecock fans, the SEC Cox football fans, and we'll just do it up here in Somerville, man. So when you got time, we'll get together, and I'll catch up with you here off the air, brother. Thanks again, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, buddy. Five-star stuff. Let's do it, man. I appreciate y'all. All right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. The man over there, of course, with the Spurs Up show. That, of course, uh, you know, he does a great job. I mean, he really does a good job keeping us up to date, giving us what we need, you know, really honestly feeding us the information that we need. If you're a Gamecock fan, right, he is going to tell you, and sometimes he's going to tell you things you don't want to hear, but he's honest and he's upfront and he tells you the way it is. That being said, uh, we do want to thank him for his time. And again, make sure you check him out. The Spurs Up show does a great job, not just covering up uh, the Gamecocks. He talks about the SEC, but Chris Phillips is uh, one of the good guys. So give him a follow, give him a listen. We got to go to break. I know David Hood is on the line. He's mic'd up. He brought on his Sunday's best. You can't see him. You should. Because if you could, you'd be impressed, Clemson Tom. He's here in style. That being said, he will be with us right after this very, very short break. And we're going to talk about the ACC, the Clemson Tigers. We're going to talk about the media days, all of that coming up next right after this, guys. Don't go anywhere. I can't begin to know him, but then I know it's growing strong. Wasn't the spring, and spring became the summer, who'd have believed you'd come along? Touching hands, reaching out, touching me, touching you. the utmost reports on sports of all sorts, let's join Richie Altman and Eugene Benton on Southern Sports Central.
Welcome back, everybody. Southern Sports Central here live in Somerville, South Carolina, hanging out on the coastline, and we go all the way to the great part of the state in the upstate up there in Clemson with Mr. David Hood, who joins us, ready to talk some Clemson football, some AC Super football, and a little bit more. David, first of all, brother, thanks for hanging out with us. Glad to be back. You know things are real when David Hood's on the show with you, representing himself and those fans over there, of course, at TigerNet.com. David, welcome back. Glad to have you with me, buddy. Hey, it's good to be back on, and it definitely is football season. I was back over in the uh, Clemson Indoor facility this morning for a NIL deal with a lot of the Clemson freshman uh, class, and, and, you know, I think they're excited to get going. I know I'm ready. It's, uh, it's like kind of September 4th or 5th, whatever that first day is for Clemson, that Labor Day night game. Can't get here fast enough. Of course, man, you guys have been doing it for a long time. You and your wife, I think, are, are the one-two punch of uh, what you guys do, and we love having you and you and her on here. Of course, I always take advantage of the opportunity when you guys come in because you put so much hard work into it. And, man, I tell you what, a football season that never rests is college football, really. Honestly, high school football the same way, and high school football just as big up there in that part of the state as it is uh, anywhere else as well. But with that being said, you know, Dabo was on a microphone, I believe, earlier this week, David, where he mentioned this team, this team right here, may have the most accountability than he's seen in the last five years. And he mentioned only one gentleman who really didn't check that box. And then a day later, we found out somebody was kind of dismissed off the team. But that happens. That's part of accountability. You're either with us or against us. Either all in, as he would say, or you're not. But what is your mindset of this team coming back? A lot of guys could have gone and gotten a draft. A lot of guys could have graduated and left, but yet – they came back with a little bit different attitude and a lot more of a purpose in 2023. Yeah, some of the older guys that, that came back, like a Tyler Davis, like a Rook or Hohoro, uh, even Barrett Carter, who, you know, wasn't not ready to leave, wasn't, you know, eligible for the NFL, uh, Jeremiah Trotter. Those last two games of the season kind of left a bad taste in their mouth, uh, didn't play particularly well against South Carolina or Tennessee. They they know it. They know that there's another step they can take. Uh, and so you have guys like XT, Xavier Thomas, who's, you know, this is his money year. He's got a lot of stuff to prove. Justin Maskell's another older guy. He's got a lot of stuff to prove. And, and uh, you know, it's a team that feels like <clears throat> two, three lost seasons just isn't what that program is supposed to be about. And, uh, they're ready for Clemson to be back in that college football playoff conversation, you know, maybe in the conversation to play for a title. And, uh, you know, they feel like they had a lot of good pieces last year, but then this freshman class is going to fill it in a lot more. And, and there has been a lot of accountability. In fact, when I walked into the uh, indoor facility this morning, uh, there were guys that were leaving, and it was a player-led deal. It was Sheridan Jones and um, – uh, Ray Mickens and, and Andrew McCuba had brought out all of the defensive backs and a quarterback, and they were working on jumping routes and working on catching the football, and they were all out there at 7 a.m. on a Saturday, you know, with camp not starting yet. It was player-led. So I think that tells you a lot about what the mindset is. Now, of course, the big news on the off season, or of course, as soon as the season ended, was the offensive coordinator that you guys were able to pick up over there in Clemson in the Valley you know, when you get a guy like Garrett Riley, who we all know the history there and the excitement of him coming on campus, I mean, that was huge. And then just days ago, here comes a guy that everybody likes the name of Chad Morris. He comes back on campus as an offensive analyst, having two different offensive mindsets. 
Man, you're talking about a room that I wish I could be a fly to, uh, you know, uh, to sit on the wall there and to hear these two powerful minds of an offense speak together. I think it speaks a lot of volumes of the quarterback play that you're going to see the running back and Shipley coming back, of course. Talk to us about this two-headed offensive monster that Dabo Sweeney is now putting together for these folks at, at Clemson. Well, you know, first of all, I think that, you know, it's important to kind of note that Chad's not going to be a part of, uh, you know, so much the offensive game planning or anything like that. Uh, uh, you know, he's kind of in. He's still getting paid by Arkansas, I think. So this is a volunteer role. He's going to come back, and he's going to be scouting the other teams. You know, it's like I was talking to John Gross, who's a former Jacksonville State head coach, that team that beat Florida State. You know, he's also a really good offensive mind. He's an analyst, and he was telling me the other day, you know, our job as an analyst is if Clemson's playing Duke, then we're looking ahead to Charleston Southern and Florida Atlantic. You know, Charleston Southern Week uh, will be on Florida State already. We're, we're already looking at all of their game film. And that's going to be what Chad's doing. And Chad's also going to be looking at Clemson film, trying to find tendencies and stuff like that. But then, you know, the game operations, the day-to-day operations and stuff like that, that's still going to be, you know, really – Garrett Riley, that's going to be Kyle Richardson and the rest of the offensive guys. Um, so, so Chad has his part, and then what he's going to do is he's going to work through Thursdays. His son Chandler uh, still plays quarterback at TCU, where Garrett Riley was last year. And then, you know, on the weekends, Chad's not even going to be at the games. He'll be able to go to Fort Worth or wherever Chandler's playing and uh, just be a football dad for a little bit. That would we talk about the quarterback play. I know everybody's excited to see with uh, one quarterback gone. He's headed to the West Coast. This other quarterback stepped up here in, in the bowl game and, and, and showed a lot of poise, a lot of promise for a lot of Clemson fans at, at, towards the end of the year. Where's your, your, your overall view of the offense, the running back, like I mentioned, the wide receivers, the offensive line? Kind of give us a, a, a preview of what to expect from that position at the quarterback and those surrounded by him. Well, this, this offense really fits Cade Klubnick to a T, maybe more so than what Clemson ran last year. You know, and talking to the defensive coaches and talking to guys in the spring, they were saying what makes Garrett Riley's offense so hard to defend is the presentation. It's the, the, the alignments, the motions, the shifts, uh, the stemming, things like that. That's what makes it so hard to defend. And, um, you know, they get you going one way and then they'll throw it another way. And, from everything I've heard, you know, Kay Klubnick really took to this in the spring. And I think it probably gives you a little, you know, you don't have to hold the ball quite as long, you know, as I was talking to somebody the other day. Clemson's offense, since Chad Morris was here, kind of predicated on go get that big receiver, and what we're going to do is we're going to stick him on the boundary side of the field or the half side of the field all the time, and we're going to get him matched up one-on-one with a corner, we're going to throw a 50-50 ball. That was kind of the pass game. And, you know, you had T. Higgins and Mike Williams and Nuke Hopkins and, uh, you know, Justin Ross and, and all of those guys. So now the offense is one guy is going to play left all the time, one guy's going to play right side all the time. And it's more designed to get these guys open in space. And you're not going to have one route really running or two. It's going to be everybody's going to be an open guy. Everybody's going to have the option to, to catch a football with this offense. So, so Cade's excited about it. Uh, I think this offense is going to better fit his skill set. I think it's going to better fit the skill set of the receivers that they have. And then, you know, one of the one of the, the guys was laughing with me this morning uh, saying that, that Garrett Riley calls it the dirt raid, not necessarily the air raid, but the dirt raid, 
which lets you know that he's going to have a whole lot of Will Shipley and Phil Moffa, uh running the football in there. And people forget, yes, it's an air raid, but you know he had a 1,400-yard rusher at, at TCU last year. So he's going to run the football too, and I think that's why he calls it the dirt raid. How interesting to see him come in here with a with a Big 12 mindset. I mean, the Big 12, they all do things different. The Big 12, the Big 10, the ACC, the SEC, you know, they all have their own things that they kind of bring to their conference, whether it be defense or offense. But for the Big 12, it's always been, like you mentioned, that air raid. But it's funny because the dirt raid is going to be promisingly, uh, I would say, an interesting part of what Clemson will bring because of those two running backs that you just mentioned, those two guys. And, again, I'm a big Shipley fan. I had a chance to meet him at a camp when he was a senior in high school, already committed to Clemson. He was at this camp in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the kid just – he just had this this feeling when he walked in the room that you knew he had this confidence about himself that, you okay, this guy is probably going to step in pretty quick and pretty early, and he's done that. He's a leader on the field. He takes accountability on and off the field as well as he holds himself accountable. He does a good job holding others accountable. Now, who do you see as the team leader in that aspect when it comes to the offense? You know, I think Kate is Kate's the guy, but he's really lucky. He's got two older offensive linemen and Walker Parks, uh, who's the right guard. Will Putnam is the center. You know, those guys have, you know, probably 4,000 snaps between them. They've been around a long time. You've got Shipley. He's the talkative guy. Probably if they huddle up, he's the talkative guy back there. Shipley is, is the one that's going to kind of demand excellence from everybody and and, you know, in Garrett Riley's offense, I think you're going to see him split out in the slot. So um, I think you're going to see him roll out. One of the offensive players told me during the spring that um, one of the corners, he said uh, they had a play there kind of early in camp where uh, they they took everybody in running a route and they ran them a hard left. And he said the entire defense is going left. And he said all of a sudden you look and they've thrown it back to Shipley on the right-hand side of the field and he pretty much walks in. And he's like, that's what Shipley can do in, in this offense. But you can't forget Moffa. I thought Moffa really was kind of the go-to guy in the Orange Bowl. I thought he should have gotten the ball more. So they've got kind of a two-headed monster back there that they're, they're going to lean on. Let's go to the other side of the ball. We're live with David Hood from TigerNet.com. Always fun to get in here talking Tigers with the man, the myth, and the legend up there, of course, in the Valley. And he covers the state as well when it comes to Clemson football. With that being said, David, you look to the other side of the ball and the linebacking core. That kind of in the past has always been that, that one that kind of sets the tone for the Tigers as they look forward to having another ACC championship uh, ring and another trophy in the case and making another run for the national championship. But where do you see the strongest part of Clemson football is this year and the leadership? Where is that going to come from on the defensive side of the ball? You're going to see Derek Carter and Jeremiah Trotter. Those are the guys that are the, the you know, they're the, the bell cows, I guess you could call them. They're going to be the ones that everybody's going to follow. Clemson's going to be, you know, you, you're, you're kind of a baseball guy too, I think. You have to be strong up the middle, right? Well, Clemson's going to be strong right. up the middle with those defensive tackles with, with Rook and Tyler. Uh, Peter Woods, the freshman who's just impressed everybody, he's going to play a big role. And then you've got Jeremiah Trotter up the middle. Uh, then you've got all those, you know, older safeties kind of in the back end. And, and so I, I think up the middle is going to be where that strength is with, with Trotter. Uh, Carter's going to be playing over there on the weak side, linebacker. Uh, but Clemson's going to rely on those guys that came back. Again, the Sheridan Jones, the R.J. Mickens, the Andrew McCubas, and those two big dudes up front that, uh, you know, they're going to kind of set the tone. I think Wes Goodwin, you might see him play a little bit more of a 4-2-5 this year. 
than what you've seen in the past to kind of take advantage of what Wade Wood has. It's going to be a sophomore, what he brings to the table. Uh, talking to some coaches, you know, earlier this week, they were saying that he's ahead of where Isaiah Simmons was at the same point. That That's a big thing to, to say. <clears throat> they kind of like his Swiss Army knife mentality. He can play safety. He can play linebacker. Uh, he can cover a tight end. So uh, West Goodwin has a lot of nice pieces that he can move around. When we talk about moving things around, tweaking things is probably the word that I hear the most when it comes to what Dabo needed to do, not only with his staff, but he did maybe do a little bit of that, of course, with the players. Where do you think the biggest tweaks that are made in the defense? Because Clemson's defense has been very impressive. And I don't want to throw the SEC in conversation because I know a lot of Clemson fans, that's a dirty word, uh, and I can understand it. But I've always said Clemson has an SEC-style defense. Man, you guys are smash mouth. You get after the ball. You're fast. You're furious. You're secondary. You know, you say man on man, shoulder to shoulder, hands in the air, intercepting balls, picking it for six. That's kind of been a strong point for me watching Clemson in the past. That's why they've always played well against the SEC in non-conference games. But where are the biggest tweaks that you feel that were made on the defensive side of the ball to get that defense back to being where we've seen them in so many years in the past? You know, I think part of the problem last year, Wes was trying to get a feel as a play caller, uh, Wes being Wes Goodwin, the defensive coordinator. Wes was trying to get a feel as a play caller. And sometimes as a play caller, you know, do I sit back here or do I attack? And, you know, early in the season when they had some issues with the cornerbacks and they had some injuries with Makuba and Sheridan Jones missing games, missing time, Nate Wiggins, you know, getting hurt, missing time, uh, you know, hey, do we sit back now or do we attack? Well, you attack and then you get burned on the back end. So for the tweak this year is if everybody's healthy, you know, I think you're going to see Clemson on more of, of of an attack role. Kind of trust that secondary a little bit until that defensive line and those linebackers <clears throat> go get it. I think that there were times last year when they had to really back off and, and kind of sit back in a zone and, uh, people were able to, to, to get longer drives on them. We saw that against South Carolina. And you can't be as aggressive as you want to be. And then, uh, you know, then late it gets to be desperation time, and then you bring it, you give up a big play. So for them, I think the, the tweak is just let's keep everybody healthy and then let's go on the attack again and kind of turn these guys loose. You mentioned healthy, and the guy that comes to my mind is Xavier Thomas. Xavier Thomas was one of the highly recruited kids in the great state here in South Carolina. Gamecock fans thought they had him. Clemson fans did the old Kirk Kirk, or the uh, Lee Corso not so fast, my friend. They got him in Clemson, but he seems like he dealt with a little bit of injury since he's been in Clemson. But now it seems like he's had a hell of a postseason, preseason, whatever it would be in the spring. He's got back to his size that he's used to. The health seems to be the best it's been. What are we expecting out of a guy like Xavier that was so highly recruited coming out of high school, got that opportunity, and, again, has a little bit of hiccups, but still – has so much left to give while he's still giving a bunch already in Clemson. Yeah, he's a guy that every time you're over there, he's he's in the weight room, he's working out. He probably looks the best and the healthiest that I've seen him since he arrived on campus. Um, right. You know, you, you watch him and you go, okay, that, that's a dude right there. And, and so for him, understanding this is his money year. This is it. No more, you know, there, there's no more mulligans. You can't come back next year. This is it. If you're going to prove to the NFL that, that you're an NFL guy, this is when you have to prove it. And, and I think that is his mindset. You see a quick twitch guy that's got power to him, not the tallest guy, 
<laughs> in the world that can really get after the quarterback. And, you know, whenever you think about XT, you think about that hit that he put on the Syracuse quarterback in Death Valley a few years ago. And you think, you know, if you can just get that guy with that explosiveness back, you got a chance to be pretty good. And I think that he is healthy. And there were times last year when he was out that I think he could have played. But one thing that the, the team has, has done really over the last year is tried to not rush guys back from injury and say, you know what, well, we understand you probably could play this week, but we're just going to take a look at the long-term effect that it has on you and let you get healed. And I think that's what they did with XT. He looks like he's ready to go. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that double-digit sacks are out of the question, especially considering the fact that, you know, Tyler and, and, and Rook and Peter Woods and those guys are, are probably going to be uh, drawn to double teams up in the middle and free him up. We go back to the other side of the ball as we're hanging out with David Hood from TigerNet.com. Talking Clemson Tigers here now. We're three of Southern Sports Central in a beautiful middle of the day here in Somerville, South Carolina on Southern Sports Central. But uh, we go back to Kate Kublik, who, again, he's a guy who you saw a lot of things about him able to read the defense teams. I mean, you watched him kind of check off receivers, check off other defenders. He was going up to the line. He was looking left and right. You almost can see a student in the game while he was even – in the game. Now, is he ready, in your opinion, is it, is, watching him already in a, in a little bit of time you've been able to see him or some of the time you've seen him between the weight room and just maybe, and I don't know how much time you're able to see him in a field room, but just in general, do you feel like he's ready to take that next step and really put these Tigers on his back and lead them into the end zone week after week? Yeah, you know, uh, three straight championships, he was a quarterback on two of them in the highest classification in Texas high school football. So he's been a winner, you know, like Trevor Lawrence, didn't lose games. And, uh, you know, if you if you go back and you watch that Tennessee game, uh, there were mistakes that he made. And he will tell you that there were mistakes that, that he made, uh, times when he ran when he shouldn't have, times when a check down should have come that it didn't. Um, you know, so so he's kind of embraced that that part of it taking his game to the next level over the off season and really getting into the film room more. And then I laughed the other day when, you know, Coach Sweeney was talking and he called him a gym rat. You know, and the first time that I really heard that was kind of somebody talking about Bobby Hurley. Remember Bobby Hurley, the Duke point guard? And, oh, yeah. you know, Mike Krzyzewski <laughs> would say that, um, um, you know, they never could get him out of the gymnasium. Well, they can't ever get Cade out of the football facility. And even during camp, if it wasn't his time to be a coach, he was still in there. And he always had a football in his hand, and he's always trying to get somebody to throw with him. He's always staying after practice. He's always trying to get guys to come throw. See him walking through again all the time, I mean, just all the time. And, uh, you know, I think that's what you, you, you like. And then he's also a kid. He's very charismatic. Everybody's drawn to him, and he's just a natural leader. And it's going to be fun to see him in this offense. Before we head off the campus and look around the ACC, let's talk a little bit about recruiting. Uh, we're live with David Hood from TigerNet.com. Recruiting, uh, you know, Clemson's always in the top five conversation. I, I don't care where, when, how. It seems like the Tigers do a really good job nationally. They don't always get every guy they want maybe in the state, or maybe they do, David. You would know more about that than I would. But they seem to always replenish, reload. They're never rebuilding. It's more of a reloading uh, conversation when you talk about the Tigers ever since Dabo's Probably about his third year. It's been reloading year after year. Where do you like in the recruiting right now? Are they filling the gaps? Are they going after the guys? And 
kind of an inside crystal ball look. Who is the next two or three big names that we need to keep an eye on that you guys can land on campus? Well, you know, in, in speaking of recruiting, being over there with that defensive class from 2023 this morning, you know, it's my opinion that they've got a chance to be the best defensive class Clemson's ever landed. Uh, when you look at, at Stephion Green and, and Vic Burley and Jamal Anderson and uh, T.J. Parker and Peter Woods and A.J. Huffler, and the names just keep rolling out there, and you're like, man, you know, a lot, a lot of talent. And I, I do. I think that that's – they, they do. They have the chance to be the best defensive class Clemson has ever signed. And, you know, for this year, you know, they, they, they've got Sammy Brown, that linebacker out of Georgia, who's coming to play South Carolina uh, for his first game of the season. They'll be at Wren on August 26th, I think. Uh, his Lincolnton squad will be in the upstate so people can see him. You know, you've got to like Landon Hen. They've got their quarterback. They're not going to take a quarterback in this class other than Blake um, uh, Hebert, uh, not a bear like Bobby Hebert, the old Saints. They've got their quarterback. They've, you know, got their, their uh, running back in David Eziamume, who they really like. They've got Gideon Davidson coming in 25. You know, that's the good stuff. They've gone out and got uh, T.J. Moore at wide receiver, Brian Wesco. Those are two <coughs> absolute studs that, that people are going to love in the offense. Where they lack, however, is on the offensive line. You know, they've missed out on some targets that they really wanted. William Satterwhite goes to Tennessee. Casey Poe goes to Alabama. Fletcher Westfall takes his talents to uh, to Florida. You know, and all of a sudden you go, oh, you know, they've got one guy um, that, that they've got signed so far, committed so far. They've extended an offer, you know, to another player, but that's where it's really got to pick up. They they really need to land one or two more offensive linemen in this class and then uh, kind of see where they go. Uh, Mike Matthews, who was an athlete, he, he decides he's going to Tennessee. But they were done at wide receiver. He was just kind of an oversigned athlete type of a guy. Uh, so, so they miss out on him. But everybody's looking for Corey and Gibson today, uh, who's a, a cornerback out of, uh, you know, Texas. And it's down to Clemson and Texas, and a lot of, uh, you know, stuff was leaning toward Texas maybe a week and a half ago, but I think a lot of stuff is starting to trend Clemson's way on that. I've talked to him a number of times, and, uh, you know, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but I'll definitely be tuning in at 5 o'clock today when Corey and Gibson announces his decision, Longhorns and Tigers. Should be a good one. Let me ask you this, David. I know Dabo's never been a transfer portal guy. Seems like he's still kind of sticking to that. I don't see you guys using the portal nearly as much as everybody else. Give us your thoughts on the portal and, and how much, how important it has it been. And, and do you feel like in the past, had he had used it when he didn't land a few guys here and there to maybe kind of plug and play a few, would that have played a mega role uh, in, in the last couple of years? Yeah, you know, the problem is that, that there's just not really been room for, for portal guys. They haven't had the mass losses. Uh, that everybody else has had. In fact, you know, 85 scholarships is the limit. And he goes into the summer with 88 guys on scholarship, and you have to lose three somewhere along the way to get to the 85. And people are like, why don't we go to the portal? And it's like, well, you know, Clemson just doesn't have a, a whole lot of guys, you know, leave. And and, and then you have guys like Rook and, and Tyler who decide that they are coming back. You know, I did think that Clemson could have used an offensive lineman last year, and they went after some guys that they thought were a fit. Uh, and they went elsewhere, you know, they're I really, to me, like if, if I'm in charge of it, I thought they could have used a wide receiver this year. I would have really gone hard after a wide receiver in the portal this spring, but they like who they've got. Um, and, and Davos just 
kind of made up his mind, you know, hey, I'm going to uh, develop high school players. That's what we're going to do. I was talking to defensive uh, coordinator of Tennessee at the Orange Bowl, and we were talking about that, and he said, that's exactly what you want to do. I don't want to raise somebody else's kids. I want to raise my kids, and that's what we want to do too. We're not going to be huge players in the portal. Um, and that's why I think that Florida State game is so exciting this year because you've got the two the two programs that do it different ways. You know, Mike Norvell, mass exoduses, uh, you know, guys leaving for whatever reason, guys he's thrown out of the program, you know, brought in 23 transfers or something like that the past two years. So you're going to have – you know, building it from within and building it through the portal, go head-to-head and see who's better. Hang it out, David Hood, TigerNet.com, and we'll ask the NIL question. It seems to be a heavy hitter. And, again, NIL is very weird, David, because it is different per state, right? Legislation, rules, regulations, all of that. The portal's one beast that we fight, you fight, we all look at, but that NIL deal is a very, very interesting deal. For me, you got college football players making more than some college coaches making maybe not at the Power 5 level, but definitely at other levels. My question to this is, as we offer all this money, and I understand as a former college athlete how important it is to have some money in your pocket because, believe it or not, we don't have a lot of time to make any money other than you know what we do where we are and the money we're given by the university. But who's going to be there for these young men and or women when the money's gone, they don't get drafted, and these kids that are making these crazy amount of numbers on the zeros on their checks aren't there anymore. Give us your thoughts on the NIL and that conversation. And just overall, David, you've been around college football a long time, buddy. You've been around sports forever. What's your thoughts on NIL? Good idea, bad idea? And how would you manage it if you were in charge of it? Well, I think it's a good idea. Uh, you know, these, these guys were, were going out and, and, and seemingly everybody was making a whole lot of money off of them, you know, whether it was ESPN or the conferences or you know, even the schools a little bit, and 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 I and I understand. Look, an education is a very valuable thing, but what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, whereas a a normal college student who may be on a scholarship of some kind, you know, schools all that they do, that's it. And with a college football player or a college baseball player, you know, there's lifting at 5 a.m. and there's a workout at 6 a.m. and then there's classes from 8 to you know, eight to one, and then they've got to go to tutoring, and then they've got to go do film study, and then they've got to go to practice, and then at sometime late at night they've got to do homework, right? And it's a 24-hour-a-day job. It truly is. And so, you know, I think in theory NIL, great. But we all knew what it, what would happen. We all knew that, you know, Texas pancake houses were going to start offering $50,000 <clears> to every offensive line recruit. We knew that there was going to be bags, you know, of money in McDonald's bags and, you know, an unintended consequence, I talked to a, you know, a, a high school coach a few days ago about a guy that Clemson was in on, and he said, you know, Mama really wanted him at Clemson, but he has male figures in his life who think that they are going to get on the NIL train, and they sent him to this other school because they all have dollar signs in their in their eyes. And that's kind of the unintended, you know, consequence that, you know, guys – who knows, you know, all of a sudden you've got a kid that's never had anything and, hey, you've got $100,000 in your bank account. What are you going to do with it? And there has to be some regulation somewhere along the way. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe at some point you just make these people employees and put a salary cap on it and let it go at that and say, you know, every school's going to offer 50000 a year, whatever it is, for every one of the players and let that be it. I don't, I don't know. But, but something needs right. to change. 
definitely needs to change because to get out of control would be probably uh, the topic for me. And again, I, I wasn't one of those guys. I, and I never got a McDonald's bag neither. And they're not handing them out in Somerville. I've already asked twice and they don't have it on the menu. So that's kind of a downer. But I got a McDonald's uh, you know, bag, but it always had a cheeseburger in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't even have any Monopoly money. Remember, they used to do Monopoly. At least entertain me. See, now, that's what I would do. I'm not – look, if I was at McDonald's and I was I was in charge of their marketing, like, I would bring back Monopoly just for that one reason. During that time, I would have Monopoly money in your bag just to have fun. It wouldn't have been made nothing <laughs> to you, but it would have been entertaining. <laughs> Let me talk to you real quick because we're going to leave campus and take a trip around the ACC because you guys are heading to Charlotte. You and your wife, I'd imagine, or at least for sure you are – uh, this week, because I know the Tigers will be on the podium on Thursday. They're the second team, by the way, if you're trying to follow them on Thursday, uh, to be on the podium there in Charlotte at ACC Media Days. It starts on Tuesday, ends on Thursday. But we got to talk some love, man. Basketball, I know a lot of questions. Bringing back Brad Brown, you know, it, it was kind of a do-or-die for a lot of fans, and he did, but then he kind of died. And, and, and some success there, a lot of things that built to, but it looks like they're bringing it back. Of course, baseball, man. I mean, hottest team in college baseball towards the end of the year. Kind of hit a little bit of a tough spot there in the in the super in the regional, uh, but still a lot to build from. That first year coach coming back after I think he was a uh, graduate assistant coach, or he was definitely on the staff with Leggett. Uh, did great things uh, towards the middle and the end. Hottest team in college baseball, like I mentioned, looked amazing. And then softball, holy macaroni, man, David Hood, your softball program is. Is on fire, man, year after year and getting better every year. And you got beat by what I believe was the national champion, Oklahoma Sooners. But that, again, speaks volumes of a program that's not even that old. Can you kind of talk about those three sports before we look around the conference? Well, I think basketball feels really good. They, they picked up some transfers. Uh, Joe Girard from Syracuse is going to kind of give them that outside threat. So uh, bringing T.J. Hall back. Very big, you know, getting kind of an all-ACC caliber player back that's going to be in the middle. They feel really good about the guards. And, you know, I think there's a feeling around this program, you know, that it once again, they this is going to be a team good enough to make the, the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, baseball was a lot of fun, a lot of fun going up to uh, uh, Durham with them, uh, watching them win the ACC championship. little different feel around the program than has been around for a long time right now. Uh, you kind of feel like there's a fantastic coaching staff that Eric Backage has put together. He goes down and gets, uh, you know, Coach Bellinger from Florida State, longtime Florida State pitching coach. <clears throat> Dude knows how to develop talent. They've gone and got out a, a freshman out of the portal from Georgia Tech this week, a 6'7", 6'8", lefty who throws 97 miles an hour that they can't wait wow. to get their hands on. Um, you know, so you have a pitching coach like Bellinger, and so uh, they, they feel like they're going to have a chance to be pretty good again next year. And, you know, it's a little funny. It, it's, it's interesting listening to Eric talk, and I talked to him yesterday maybe, I guess it was, and, and he said that, you know, how they define a season was that the season was okay. You win an ACC championship and it was just okay. Uh, for him, it was a good season. If you have a pretty good season, then you're one of those eight teams that makes it to Omaha and then a great season is you win it. He wants to bring that first national championship back to Clemson. And uh, that's, a, that's a really good season or a great season. And they want uh, pretty good and really good seasons to follow, not just good seasons. So that gives you his mindset. And in softball, you know, what can you say about John Rittman? You know, U.S. national team coach out at Stanford, a lot of experience. You have a pitcher like Valerie Cagle, who's also a hitter. Uh, they've added some transfers. The recruiting class was very good. 
and you just kind of have a feeling this is going to be a team. It's going to be a top eight, ten, top ten team for a long time to come. And yeah, I tell people if you, if you never watched them, go buy a ticket and go watch them. I'm a you know I'm a batting ball guy. I love baseball. I love softball, and they are a lot of fun to watch. You know, uh, maybe more so than baseball. A lot more, you know, squeeze play, bunting running the bases, slap hitting, along with the power. A lot of fun to watch and a good time to be on Clemson's campus. And, of course, you know, right now there's so much construction going on. They've added lacrosse, which just missed the NCAA tournament in their initial year. That would have been huge. Building a brand-new facility for them. They've, they've got gymnastics starting, building a brand-new facility for them. So a lot going on on campus. No doubt a lot happening on campus. Let's move off campus. Let's look around the ACC and – one of the things that hit a couple of, maybe about a month ago, it's hard to keep up because uh, so many headlines are going to start hitting us now, David. But Florida State looked at possibly leaving the ACC. I mean, there were rumors, and that's all I got is rumors. I don't know anybody on the inside unless I know you. I do know you. If you know anything, you can tell us today. But what is this conversation with Florida State? Not happy about the TV deal. I know that uh, basically my TV has basically kind of come in, and they're going to take 50 games. That's a lot like Jefferson Pilot back in the day when they used to cover a lot of ACC games. So it reminds me, very similar conversation. But what does the ACC need to do, is my first question, to maintain the continuance of the teams and bring in some teams? Hey, I think they need to do whatever they got to do to get Notre Dame to either be all in or out. That's one conversation. But on the other end, to keep the Florida States from looking around and shopping, the Clemson Tigers, even I heard North Carolina's name, David, which is a blue blood, just like Clemson, of being an official one of the original members around here. What is the conversation that you're hearing with how secure, how tight is the ACC with keeping and maintaining the teams and adding teams instead of losing teams? Yeah, you know, so I think teams are looking. I know Clemson has, you know, explored some different avenues. I know Florida State has. Everybody's going to listen at this point. And, um, you know, the things that we're hearing, like it's all kind of quiet right now. I think the Big Ten wants to see how their new scheduling shakes out. I think that the SEC wants to see how getting Oklahoma and Texas into the league, how their new scheduling shakes out before they do things. But, you know, these teams that that are constantly looking to get out of the ACC, I'm not sure there's anything the ACC at this point can do. I think that they are tied into that TV deal through, you know, 2036 or 37, however long it is, good grief, and it's a terrible deal at this point. I don't think Notre Dame will ever join the league. I think if Notre Dame does join the league, they join the Big Ten. Uh, you know, so, so for the ACC, it's kind of like you know, they're just in hang-on mode because at some point, yes, somebody's going to come after North Carolina. Somebody's going to come after Florida State. Somebody's going to come after Clemson and say, hey, understand you're tired of making $45 million a year. How would you like to make $95 million a year? And, and they're going to leave. And the grant of rights, right. these schools will tell the ACC, we'll see you in court. We'll tie it up for forever until there's no longer an ACC and, and that'll happen. So, you know, do I think that anything is imminent? No. Do I think teams are exploring? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree. See, my thing is, David, whether you're an SEC guy or not, you're a Clemson, a Gamecock, doesn't matter. For me, I like South Carolina Clemson in the same conference. I like Florida, Florida State. Hell, I even say bring in Miami. Let's bring in Georgia. Tech to hit Georgia. We can go in there, and I, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm going to bring in NC State, North Carolina for the football robbery. That means you got to bring in Duke for the other robberies. Give me Virginia, Virginia Tech. Give me Louisville so Kentucky can have their ball right there. Give me Oklahoma State. You've already got Texas. To me, that's a power 26 conference. As a matter of fact, you could also break away from the NCAA and have a conference within 
It's a league within its own, basically. Now, I don't really want it to happen because I like the Notre Dames and I like the Michigan and Ohio State and Southern Cal conversations. But could you imagine that 26 power conference? I mean, look back at 1997, all but three up to date would be national titles in football out of the state or out of that conference. And then baseball, basketball, track and field. My God, that would be an impressive looking conference, would it not? It would be. And that's what we're headed to. That's what we're headed to one day. I just hate to see us not in the same conference. I know we we get back and forth about, well, they don't want us. You don't want you. Man, it's good for college football. It's good for my Saturday. I can tell you that part. Uh, That being said, look around the rest of the conference. You mentioned Florida State as we, uh, North Carolina. Those are two teams that are always going to be, can they put a a push against the Clemson Tigers to possibly win the ACC? There are other teams in the conference. I understand that. But those are the first two that kind of hit my palate. Real quick before I get you out of here, buddy, who do you feel is a team that Clemson is going to keep their eye on, that our fans should keep their eye on, that could compete with them going into the season to possibly take over and, and maybe make a run into the ACC? Yeah, you know, I think I think North Carolina is going to be good again. Anytime you've got a quarterback like they have, like he's, you know, he's the real deal. They've got some, some talented playmakers. But it's, it's Clemson and Florida State at this point. Florida State, talented returning running back, talented returning quarterback, really good offensive line. Uh, great receivers, very athletic on the defensive side of the ball. Like, that's going to be a really good team, and we're going to find out a lot about them, you know, fairly early on because, uh, uh, you know, they get LSU and Clemson there in the first four, four, you know, four or five weeks. That's two pretty tough games. So uh, we'll figure out how good they are really fast. But I know you got to go real quick, man. I know you guys are heading to Charlotte. Safe travels, you and the family. Uh, real quick, how do the Clemson fans and everybody else listening, man, how do they find you guys and how do they keep up with you guys on the Internet, buddy? Yeah, it's at Clemson TigerNet on Twitter. I'm at M. David Hood on Twitter. Easy to find. Nikki's at CUNico8 on Twitter. Uh, we're all over social media. And we'll, I will actually be up there all three days. Clemson's the last day of the ACC kickoff. Uh, but we're going in for all three days and should be a lot of fun. Well, buddy, between you and your wife, we're going to try to keep you guys act, you know, active with us because you guys do an incredible job at the Clemson Tiger football program and, of course, the entire athletic department, buddy. Enjoy the rest of the day. And, again, thanks for your time, bud. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You got it. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. David Hood from TigerNet.com. You can ask. He is the best in the business when it comes to covering the Clemson Tigers, covering the ACC. And that's what I try to do here on Southern Sports Central. And it's been a great show. I mean, it's been an amazing show. We started off with Chuck Reedy, Coach Reedy. Of course, he coached his days at Baylor as a head football coach over there at Baylor in the mid-'80s into the 90s. But he started his college days at Clemson with the Tigers and Danny Ford as a running back coach, became the OC. Like I said, went to Baylor after Baylor came to South Carolina for one year with Brad Scott. And then he found himself in the creek over at Goose Creek where he won a state championship. Actually, should have won two or three. But he got one. And he also owns the Comeback Shack if you're looking for a great place to eat. From what I just learned during the show, they got great chicken fingers as well as great burgers and french fries and a few milkshakes on the menu as well. So go by and check out the Comeback Shack that's located over there off of University Boulevard in North Charleston, right down the road from uh, Charleston Southern. We're going to get into the Big South and the Southern Conference next week. We'll have two of those guys representing those conferences. We're going to try to cover everybody in college football in the state that means you too, Coastal. We're coming down your way as well. We'll get a beat writer uh, to get you guys uh, some love on the show as 
Well, then our number two, boy, I tell you what, Chris Phillips coming back from Nashville. That guy puts a lot of work in. For you guys who have never done sports radio or TV or, or play-by-play on a football game, this is the easy part. This is the easy part. It's the preparation that goes into this stuff. I mean, David Hood's up at 4 o'clock in the morning so that when you guys get up at 6 o'clock, you can read his article. Nikki, his wife, same thing. I can promise you Chris Phillips probably didn't sleep at all in Nashville. And it wasn't because he was out and about. It was because he was in his room preparing for what questions to ask, what does he need to edit on this, that, and the other. And for him to compliment us at the beginning of the show and at the end of our segment, excuse me, for how he was kind of putting it together, that speaks a lot of volumes, and I appreciate that. There's kinds of words from Chris. Look forward to having him on this year. He's going to be a regular with us as well. And, of course, just wrapping up with David Hood. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to get something to drink, and I'm going to come back and spend a solid, a solid three hours with three solid guests. Next week, we'll be back live again right here on Southern Sports Central, coming to you from the coast of South Carolina. Hopefully not as hot, but either way, hopefully the show will be just as hot as we'll get you live from 10 to 1. But I do want to give some shout-outs when I come back, so don't go anywhere. We'll wrap up the show. We'll prepare you for next week, and uh, we'll get you ready for the week above. Guys, don't go anywhere. Southern Sports Central is here. We'll be right back. Three claps, we're ready tonight. Three claps. Three claps. Three claps. 27 years ago, I sat in this locker room just like you guys on a knee getting ready to play a game. I walked down the locker room, it still smells the same. It takes you back real quick. One of the things that caught me was how fast 27 years goes by. There's so many people that live vicariously through you. I would give anything tonight to jump in one of these uniforms with you guys. Let's do something I never had an opportunity to do. My father never saw me play. You play for your father tonight. That feeling goes away. It goes away, and it doesn't come every Friday night. It comes when you get married. It comes when your child's born. So you get it. But you just don't get it every Friday night. You're going to miss that more than anything in the world. That's what I miss. And so you seniors that are focused on college, you're focused on your work after high school, what you're going to do next, you're focused on tomorrow, aren't you? You've got plenty of time for tomorrow. But these tonights, they're going by fast. You focus on tonight. This is about you guys. This is about the guys in this room that care about each other, that know there's only so many more of these nights left. It's about you. They're a faceless opponent. They just happen to draw the short straw tonight. Now get your asses ready to play. Win on three. One, two, three. Now, for the utmost reports on sports of all sorts, let's join Richie Altman and Eugene Benton on Southern Sports Central. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich Elman here live on Southern Sports Central. A little bit of energy left here for the next six minutes as we wrap up 
today's show. And we want to thank everybody who listened in today. If it's your first time, take off that stripe. You're part of the family now. We're glad to have you with us. We are going to be live Monday through Friday, starting in August, from 6 in the morning to 8 in the morning. We're going to have some sponsors coming in, so we'll be excited to get those guys in. We want to say hello to the guys down at Celebrities at the barbershop down there listening in over there in North Charleston. Uh, they just sent us a message saying, hey, good show, listening to you guys live. The, sh- the chairs are busy and the wait list is long, but we're listening to you all morning long. So I want to say thanks to Don and the boys down there at the barbershop. Appreciate the love and the support, guys. That's why we do it, right? That's why we do it. We do what we do for you. We do what we can for our athletes and our coaches. Like I mentioned a while back, uh, we had the South Carolina Coaches Association uh, uh, secretary came in here, and he did an amazing job getting us up to date on what these coaches need, what they expect, and we told them, we're here for you guys. We're the voice of the players and the coaches. We're going to say the things that maybe you can't or maybe you won't, but we will. And that's why I created this a long time ago is to help get these young athletes interviewed so they understand how to speak, how to talk to someone, how to sit down and have a conversation. Because whether they play college football or college baseball or softball for the ladies or basketball for the ladies, whatever it is, you are going to have a job at some point. So having a conversation is going to happen. That being said, we're going to start interviewing coaches. Oh, yes, sir. We're going to bring back in some coaches. We'll start in the low country. We'll start in the low country with some of our coaches. We'll start talking to them. I do know on the first day, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to look at my calendar here because I do know uh, David Shelton's got another media day. This is his third annual media day. It's going to happen at Cane Bay uh, the first Sunday. I believe it's going to be the first Sunday in August. That's going to be the 6th, if I'm not mistaken. So on the 6th of August, uh, we will be over at Cane Bay. We may do a live show, though. We may, we may. We'll see. i got to get permission from – I think Cane Bay's got to give me the nod. But if not, that's fine. We'll still talk to players and coaches. We'll still get the conversation had, and uh, we'll go that way. But it has been a good show today, and I cannot thank enough for all of my guests that joined me today, that took time away from their families, to educate us, to entertain us, and to get us up to date. Each guy that came in today – brought something different to the table, to the conversation. Chuck Reedy, again, we mentioned his resume speaks for itself, is doing things even today as he tries to help the community as much as he can, has one of the best places in Somerville, Charleston, in Mount Pleasant. Uh, Of course, the Comeback Shack is over there in Mount Pleasant. I don't have that address, guys, so Google that. But I can tell you if you go to University Boulevard in North Charleston, in between North Charleston and Goose Creek, on the right-hand side, if you're leaving Charleston Southern, you'll see it, the Comeback Shack. Great chicken fingers. And great burgers, great fries, great drinks, and, of course, great atmosphere. What else could you want on a Saturday in South Carolina? Also, again, uh, we look around, and the SEC had so much to talk about continuing as they wrapped up media days, and we were very blessed to have a guy come in who just left Nashville, and, again, with Chris Phillips, what he does with the Spurs Up show. I want to thank you, Chris, for hanging out with us for a good hour, and David Hood just wrapped it with us. For an hour as well. He's, of course, with the guys over at TigerNet.com. Him and Nikki will join us through the year. Chris Phillips is going to join us throughout the year. we got a couple other beat writers uh, on both of those fronts that will join us. Don't worry. i got my guy for the Big Ten. He's hanging out with us this year. i got a guy for the Big 12 and the Pack. I'll bring some guys from the Pack because, Charleston, we got some we got some implants. we got Bowen. That means we got some West Coast folks. So I got you guys. Don't go anywhere. i got you guys covered as well. But I do want to thank everybody who listened in today, who took time away 
to check us out. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Follow us on Facebook. Let us know your thoughts at Southern Sports Central. You can find us on Twitter. We're only tweeting throughout the day at SO Sports Central. You can find me directly at Richie Altman. And, of course, uh, every once in a while we'll put something on TikTok or we'll do a little something with us on uh, Snapchat or something like that. But we stick really to that Facebook and to uh, Twitter because that seems to be the angles that we enjoy the most. Now, again, next week I will have uh, the list out tomorrow on the guests that we're going to be rolling through. So you want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter for that. We will continue to get you ready, guys, because high school football is here. This time next week we're talking we're, we're ready. Next Friday they start slapping pads and having conversations. It's real. And I hope you kids are ready because we're going to be hitting campuses during the week. We'll hit some campuses on Friday night. Uh, we're not going to be committed to one school. We're going to be committed to all the schools. Why do we do that? Because that opens up the opportunity for us to do what we need to do. Again, I want to thank everybody. As we continue to try to spread back out a little bit, you know, this has been a, a change of pace for us a little bit to have some of these different Saturday conversations as we look forward to what is around the corner, where do we go from here, and how do we get better? Well, that is easy. We just interview the coaches. We let these guys here tell us what they're preparing for here in the upcoming 2023 season. Not a lot of movement in classifications in high school football. I will tell you that if you're in 5A, you will see the likes of Dutch Fork and, and, and Tommy Knox uh, in the lower state. Last year they were in the upper state. And uh, whether you like it or not, uh, the state championship goes through that side of town. Uh, you know, Crush Knox reloads. I know quarterback-wise was a conversation that we're still waiting to see. But that's, again, why we've partnered up with moving the chains. You know, those three guys are going to come in as well. And uh, we'll get those guys back in next week with us as well, guys. So until then, I want to say thank you guys again for a great show. Thank you to the guests. Thank you for the listeners. We'll be back live right here on Southern Sports Central. You can find us on Twitter at SO Sports Central and on Facebook. And on Twitter, we're, of course, at SO Sports Central. Facebook at Southern Sports Central. And find me hanging out over there on Twitter at Richie Alvin, guys. Until then, stay safe, stay hydrated. Get ready, guys. College football's coming. There aren't many Friday nights left with high school football going to be hitting it. And Saturdays with college football, guys. God is good all the time. We'll be back next. Saturday morning right here on Southern Sports Central at 10 a.m. Until then, guys, stay safe. You're on the couch, blowing up my phone. You don't want to come out, but you don't want to be alone. It don't take but two to have a little soiree. If you're in the mood, sit tight right where you are, babe, cause I'll be at your door in 10 minutes. Whatever you got on, girl, stay in it. You ain't gotta leave the house to have a good time. I'm gonna bring the good time home to you. We'll have a happy